Hey now, we are getting over, and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times, Dada, with your ultimate preview of WWE SummerSlam 2020. That's right, WWE's second biggest pay-per-view of the year will be the first to not air inside the WWE Performance Center in about five months since this damn pandemic began and we will be breaking down every single match on the card for you on today's show along with everything else that happened this past week in WWE on Smackdown Friday and Raw Monday night. Folks, this is a loaded show. We have so much to get to. As I said, we're going to break down this entire card, so I'm not going to waste too much time in the opening. But I do want to let you know, this is just the first loaded show of many loaded shows over the next couple of weeks. Starting today, you will have seven episodes of your favorite wrestling podcast getting over over the next 13 days. Yes, that's basically more than one episode every two days, thanks to WWE giving us an extra pay-per-view out of nowhere next week in payback, AEW having to shift its schedule due to the NBA playoffs, and also having NXT TakeOver special this week on Saturday. There is just too much wrestling to give you our normal allotment of programming. So when you listen to an episode or when an episode gets published, listen to it immediately because there's going to be another coming right down the pipe. Now, before we get into the show itself, before I introduce my co-host, Chris Vanini, folks, you know we have to take care of business here because getting over, we're trying to get out of catering. We in the hurt business, man. You? <laughs> you in the catering business. No, we want to be on screen. We want to be on the front page of Apple Podcasts for wrestling. And the way you can make that happen is by heading over to Apple Podcasts and leaving us a five-star rating and review. Every single time you guys leave a five-star review, it helps this show. It boosts us in the rankings. We get seen by more people, and that means more listeners, which means advertisers, which means great things happening for Getting Over. Of course, you can also follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast, and you can follow the Silver King personally at Silverstein Adam. Now is the time where I introduce my co-host, Chris Vanini, who you can follow, believe it or not, on Twitter at Chris Vanini. Great name, right? I wasn't able to get Adam Silverstein. He was able to get Chris Vanini. I will remain jealous of that for quite a while. Chris, we have a loaded couple of weeks of professional wrestling coming up. At the same time, we have the potential, we hope, we think, maybe start of the college football season while NFL is still trying to get going as well. Man, all of a sudden, business picked up. Yes, and we will see what's in a potential Thunderdome. We'll see what's on a potential football field. We've got the NBA bubble. We've got all sorts of different structures coming up and going down. And now we're here to talk wrestling. We are. And there's a lot of show to get to. Normally, we'd have a little chit-chat at the beginning here. We are not going to do that on today's show. The WWE no chit-chat. No, no chit-chat. The, no WWE... chit-chat. the WWE SummerSlam Ultimate Preview will take place at the end of the show. We got to lead up to it and tell you everything else that happened this week in the world of WWE. And the way we're going to do that is by jumping into the main event. Now, Chris, there's probably nowhere else we can start this week than by WWE's major announcement on Monday. And we're not going to spend a lot of time on it because we really don't know anything. We haven't seen anything. 
But WWE announced Monday that all of its shows, its main shows, Raw, SmackDown, and pay-per-views will move out of the WWE Performance Center in Orlando, just a couple miles down the road to the Amway Center. And not only will they be moved to the Amway Center, which will be closed to the public, no fans, they will be introducing the WWE Thunderdome. Welcome to Thunderdome, bitch. So what exactly is the WWE Thunderdome? It's supposed to be basically a state-of-the-art set that utilizes lasers and pyro, LED boards. It looks like they're going to have virtual fans in attendance, kind of the way the NBA does surrounding its courts in the bubble, hopefully better than that. You know, maybe, although that certainly is not bad. You would think there's going to be some piped-in sound from the fans to go along with that. The company they're using is going to be inserting some augmented reality. We see that already with certain entrances, Asuka with the mask and Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross with those yellow, you know, circular faces. You see that on WWE entrances anyway. Cesaro, I think, with the Matrix-style lights. But I think they're going to do that a lot more than they have been. Basically, WWE is trying to amp up the viewing experience because, look, let's be honest here, the Performance Center, for as great of a job as WWE did, retrofitting, you know, a warehouse, basically, and turning it into a television studio, it was not meant for production like this. Ratings have been declining, interest has been dwindling, and certainly fan response and having a crowd is a large part of that. So we're not going to spend much time on it, but quick reaction before we see it this Friday on SmackDown and then at SummerSlam on Sunday. Thumbs up or thumbs down to the concept of WWE Thunderdome. I I guess a thumbs up. I I have some concerns and I feel like they may think the performance center is the reason for the ratings decline when it's not. You know, I I see a quote from I think it's Kevin Dunn. I think it was talking to Sports Illustrated. He says, so so when a big star like Drew McIntyre comes down to the ring, the whole arena will turn into his content with lasers, pyro, smoke projections at the top of the building and on the floor. It'll be a big, beautiful entrance, better than WrestleMania. That's not the problem with the performance center. They they got lights and everything with, with there. The problem with the performance center is it feels small. Right. Uh, the, the acoustics are bad, and, and you can tell what it is. So I, I'm curious what the feel of it is going to be more than the actual you know look of it. I, I'm curious what, what what the acoustics are, what what type of noise they pipe in, anything like that. Because I do think the performance center got better when they put a handful of people in there compared to when it was straight empty. So. I, I, a thumbs up for trying something new, uh, I, I, but in terms of the reasons they're doing this and what they seem to be emphasizing, I don't know if that's the right answer. Yeah, it. it I'm going to you know, give it the benefit of the doubt, certainly. We'll watch it Friday. We'll see it again Sunday. Friday basically seems to me like the dress rehearsal yeah. for the pay-per-view, and I people are wondering why are they debuting it on SmackDown and not SummerSlam. Two reasons. One, Fox pays them a lot of money for television, and they want it. Uh, and secondly... If you're going to have mistakes be made, better for it to be on television than on your second biggest pay-per-view of the year. So they can run as many dress rehearsals as they want, but ultimately you need to do it in act in live um, use to basically make sure that it comes through properly. And SmackDown and Raw every week now are going to be live. In addition to changing the venue, all the shows are going to be live again. So I do think the shows being live will help. But the way that these fans, these virtual fans have worked for NBA, I don't think they're going to work in the same way for WWE. I'm not saying that this is going to be a failure or it's a bad idea. 
They're trying something. And you have to give WWE a lot of credit for not sitting on their hands and saying, we have the performance center, we're making a ton of money, let's just not do anything. Now, WWE, they're paying, I think I saw $450,000 total for two months at the Amway Center, which folks is nothing. It's less than $25,000 a show. Now that's probably not counting security staffing and some other stuff that they have to pay for, but that is nothing to utilize in arena. So that's number one, but they did spend probably millions of dollars to create this set, to work with this company, to, to come up with augmented reality and put all of this together. So this isn't something where they just snapped their fingers and said, hey, ratings have been bad the last two weeks. We need to do this. This is likely something that's been in development for a couple months now. So I give them a lot of credit for trying something. And we're going to see what that is on Friday. But back to my point about the virtual fans, it works in an NBA environment because generally you get two sounds. Yeah or boo. In <laughs> wrestling, fans are integrated into the show. It's a call and response. It, it's when they say it's when wrestlers say certain lines they may not take them the way that they're intended, right? It, it can't, you cannot have the same type of canned responses that you do for an NBA basketball game for professional wrestling. There's chants, there's things like that, that you know play heavily into the picture. It's when Paul Heyman's insulting someone and uses a turn of phrase, and now they start chanting that phrase at that person going forward. That's what makes fans such a large part of wrestling that yes, they're important to NFL and NBA and regular sports, but it's not the same. So I don't think using virtual fans will give the feel that they're looking for, but I do believe it may give them a good look surrounding the, the ring. And I think that the atmosphere, to, to your point, the greater depth of sound, I think those things will all be beneficial long-term for the product. I, I mean, like you, you look at, AEW, and I think what stands out most about them being a daily's place is just it sounds better. Yeah. It doesn't sound it like they're in an yeah. It doesn't sound like they're in a tiny empty place. And you know, I I've got NBA highlights on right now, and they're basically playing in what looks like a box, and and it it looks fine, honestly. It's there's always noise kind of going on, so we'll just I, I guess we'll have to see. I, I think it's like I said, it's been okay when they have a handful of wrestlers in the crowd. More than anything, I'm, I'm interested in the look, I guess, that, than the actual presentation. Are, are they going to basically box in the ring with virtual fans or, or what? But uh, we'll, uh, I guess we'll have to see. Well, it looks like, and I couldn't grab the biodome sound. I planned on it, but I, I forgot before. I didn't have enough time. But it does look like it's a dome within a dome. It looks like it's a, uh, a set that is basically, it creates a dome over the ring, you know, a larger size dome that will have lights on it and lasers and all these types of things. I think what people forget when all these wrestling companies were forced to kind of go to their own home spaces to, to shoot wrestling is that AEW, despite having pyro and despite, you know, having a lot of cool looking entrances, they tried to be a more wrestling focused company. NXT most certainly is a more wrestling focused company, even more than AEW. But WWE main roster, Raw and SmackDown, is entertainment that utilizes wrestling to further the entertainment. So WWE, going from arenas to the performance center, they suffered the most drastic decline in terms of presentation. NXT basically still in full sale. They had to change some things around because there's not fans, but they're in their same venue. AEW had operated Daily's Place previously and was not operating 
large NBA size arenas. So they were used to operating in a smaller space. Granted, they still had, you know, 10,000 fans at their shows or 8,000 for some of the TV shows, but still it was a lesser reduction for AEW than it was for WWE to go from these massive sets and prioritizing entertainment over wrestling into a very tiny venue. So I think just naturally by going to the Amway Center and by doing the WWE Thunderdome. Welcome to Thunderdome, bitch. I think naturally it's going to help the product. The question I have, Chris, is whether WWE is going to keep its same focus on booking and storytelling that we've enjoyed over the past couple of months or whether now that it's live, it's just going to completely revert back to what we were getting about nine, ten months ago. Yeah, and, and and I mean, speaking of live, that means it changes, you know, how they were doing testing and stuff. It makes people a little bit more vulnerable, perhaps, now that it's going back to this type of schedule. But yeah, my, my biggest question again, it, right? Like you said, it's it's not it, it's not what the lasers look like and whatever the pyro is. It's does this help tell the story? And and then that, that that has been the problem for the past handful of weeks. I, I completely agree. So. Moving into the rest of things that happened that are not going to go down on the SummerSlam card. That's basically the only way I can describe this segment. We're going to talk about everything that happened in WWE that does not yet have to do with SummerSlam. We think we'll get to SummerSlam Ultimate Preview a little bit later. Timestamps in the episode, by the way. If you just want to hear the preview, if you're listening to us at the end of the week and just wanting to listen to our SummerSlam preview, head on over to the times the description for timestamps of every segment on today's show. Uh, But we would be remiss if we didn't kind of kick this thing off by talking about Retribution because it was the thing that took place on both Raw and SmackDown and had overarching impact to the point that it could potentially impact SummerSlam this coming Sunday. And we'll start with SmackDown. First, I just have to say off the top here, with Retribution, we've complained about it plenty. It is so annoying that every time they refer to it now, they call it the group calling itself Retribution. Just call it Retribution. You named it Retribution. You, WWE, put a story on your website the Monday night after they debuted and said, this group is Retribution. Okay, that's it. Stop saying it's the group calling itself. It's not Prince. It's not It's not the artist formerly known as Retribution, the faction formerly known as Retribution. It is Retribution. So just stop, okay? That, I just had to say that. That's off the top. Um, but now let's talk about SmackDown and we can talk about the match first with Big E getting pushed as a single star. Uh, I couldn't help but feel like the action in the match once it restarted against John Morrison was completely overshadowed. But Big E has now beaten Miz and Morrison in consecutive weeks, both former singles champions in WWE, both multi-time tag team champions in WWE. That's big. So some credit to Biggie off the top. Do you have anything you want to say about Biggie before we continue to talk about Retribution? Uh, I really liked his backstage promo with King Corbin and, and Sheamus when they were kind of in between the in between the matches, and um, that was some of that serious fire we like to see from Biggie. He's great in the ring, we know that, but I think what really makes him special is is uh, the way he can just talk and present himself, and we saw that in that backstage segment. I thought. Big E and Corbin worked together great for me, actually. Big meaty man slapping meat. <laughs> That's so I want to see just big meaty men slapping meat on TV. But that worked for me. It also worked that Big E on Twitter called out retribution before SmackDown, which kind of gave fans who are in tune to social media a little bit of a reason to wonder 
hey, are they going to attack Big E during the show? So he set up the reason for the attack during that first match. The only problem is if you're only on social media, you don't know that even happened. So WWE, I mean, just use your brain a little bit, a little bit. It's something NXT does really well. AEW does it too. If some, if you're going to put something out on social media that's going to affect your product, show it on your product. Once Retribution interrupted Biggie and John Morrison at the beginning of the show, you have Michael Cole say, hey, if you're wondering why that happened, and you put Biggie's tweet up on the screen, it takes 15 seconds to do that, and it enhances your storytelling. So that was that was an issue for me. But early in the show, we saw that WWE had increased security, but Retribution got right by them early. At least in this show on, on Friday Night SmackDown, they actually attacked real WWE superstars, and they did it to open the show as opposed to the end of the show, which was a nice touch. I thought it still looked stupid the way they basically ran around them and both guys basically got away, but Big E called them out on that backstage, which I thought was a positive. And mm -hmm. the backstage segment that you mentioned with Corbin and, and everyone going back and forth, that was relatively fine. Then later on SmackDown, the writing backstage, at least this was somewhat more violent, right? Referees got tossed around, people got beat up. They opened a door on a dude on a toilet and then locked him in. I laughed at that. I thought that was pretty funny. Just wondering why Retribution is so much more violent on SmackDown than Raw. It, it, I keep thinking about that. I keep wondering why on Raw do they just tweak with lights and, and video, but on SmackDown, they beat the shit out of people. What is the difference between the two shows that they don't really do that on Raw? So that doesn't make sense to me. But I, I, I was I was going to I was actually going to say that exact point. It, it's I mean, on SmackDown, they've got a chainsaw and they're cutting the the, the ropes and stuff like that and, and, and spray painting and throwing people through tables uh, on Raw. They're they're flickering with lights and microphones. And that's pretty much it. Yeah, I mean, I was going to I was just about to set you up for that. But I, th <laughs> what I was saying was that SmackDown is definitely when it comes to retribution, SmackDown is a step in the right direction for it. Now, that doesn't discount some of the other, other criticisms. Basically, they look exactly like the ninjas on Raw. And it makes zero sense why after multiple weeks now, WWE hasn't realized that and given these guys face masks or uh, a yellow R on their chest or something else, just something to differentiate them. They wear all black with face coverings just the same as the ninjas do. But at least on SmackDown, Chris, for me, I'm enjoying the chaos that retribution brings i can't say the same for other shows no exactly yeah I, I mean i liked what they did on raw we'll, we'll get to that in a second i'm sure but yeah it's just when it happens on smackdown i'm actually i find myself like interested in what they're going to do and when i know it's raw i kind of like sit back and just kind of wait for whatever's going to happen happen i'm i i'm already kind of interested in in what's going to happen on SmackDown with them because of exactly what you said. It's 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 more violent, which is notable because that's the one on network TV and not the one on cable. And uh, yeah, so I'm, you know, if Pritchard is doing both of these shows, I, I'm surprised because it looks like a stark divide between how they're treated on both shows. And I think on Raw that someone made a comment that, that he wondered if they were the ninjas and they mentioned Tozawa or something like that. Uh, so it is kind of out there. It's known. So it's kind of, you're right that it is weird that they're still doing it like this. You just can't really hide it. I mean, the only difference yeah. between Retribution and the Ninjas really is the Ninjas are wearing black belts 
and like kimonos, but you can't tell that they're wearing kimonos without or or not. I guess geese is, is the right word, not kimonos, right? I don't know. Whatever karate people wear. Uh, I'm, I'm not, I'm not into, I think it's geese, right? But uh, so they wear, they're, wear, they're wearing all black geese with the belts and face masks. Retribution's wearing all black clothing with the face masks. But because it's all black, you can't tell the difference between the geese and regular like streetwear. So it's, they just look exactly the same. And uh, again, I just can't, I can't, first of all, I can't even believe the ninjas are still around. Like it was yeah. funny for a couple weeks. And it served its purpose, and they wanted to just inject something light into the 24-7 title picture. Enough, okay? Sazawa, if you want him to continue being that and have, like, two dudes with him and make them a trio, fine. But there's, like, five ninjas. The the big ninja, who was the one that was interesting, is now the security guard for Raw Underground. It's just like, what, right, like, right. what the hell is going on here? But, okay, Retribution on SmackDown, I'm going to give them, like, I don't know, a B minus C plus, a passing grade. Then we move over to Monday Night on Raw. And I did like how they screwed with the broadcast early, Chris, but I was disappointed that the reason for it was given right away. And it was because Retribution was in the truck physically changing it while beating up the production members. What did the production members ever do to them, right? What, what They're not responsible for whether they're on TV or not or whether they're utilized. That doesn't make sense. This faction... And this storyline would have worked way, way better. And I said this on Twitter. If they combined Retribution and the hacker storylines and did a Mr. Robot type storyline with the hacker being the leader and Retribution as F Society. And if none of you listening know what I'm talking about or you didn't watch Mr. Robot, I'll say two things. One, shame on you. It's an incredible show. Two, you still have time during this pandemic Go watch Mr. Robot, one of my favorite television shows of all time. The last season just finished a couple months ago. It's only like four four seasons. Incredible show. But that type of storyline with a hacker and a crew rioting around him or her would have been a lot more interesting than just a bunch of dudes yelling around, running around, screaming, yeah, and kind of making a mess of things. That was real audio. Let's not forget that. That's real audio of Retribution from SmackDown. These guys, yeah, dorks. Now, Chris, we saw them over the first 30 minutes of Raw and then literally never again for the rest of the show. Did not show up. What did you think about Retribution on Monday night? Well, I had let my dogs out uh, at the beginning of the show and I came back inside and I saw a black screen on my TV and I was confused. So I changed it, changed it to another channel. It worked. Changed it back to USA. Still black. It was weird. So I changed back over to something else for about two minutes, came back again. And then I saw Drew McIntyre giving a promo. I was like, huh, that was weird. And then the various cuts and graphics start coming in and out. And I was like, what is going on? And then then I realized, oh, this is going to be a retribution thing. But I liked the idea. Like it, it was a, it wasn't like a throwaway segment that they were, you know, doing this in. It was a Drew McIntyre top of the show promo that they were doing this in. So they are they are giving retribution 
generally the 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 attention and the shine that you want to give a new faction in a situation like this. I just think some of the execution has been a little off and it makes them seem childish, whether it's the the Yaz, whether it's the tossing a little cinder block through a one window and screaming yeah. So like I, I think the effort is there in terms of what they're trying to do with this group, and I appreciate that. But I feel like a, a couple of tweaks are, are needed to really kind of take this into something better. I agree. At first, I didn't like that Retribution interrupted McIntyre's promo because he's the WWE champion, and anytime he talks on the screen should be important. But he's also the kayfabe locker room leader. So ultimately, that led to the show-off backstage between him and, and Rollins and all the faces and a couple of the heels so that did work for me in the long, long run. I, again, at first I was like offended and annoyed and I started writing notes about how I was going to criticize it. But I kind of realized like, you know what, if they're going to sow chaos on SmackDown, they're not going to mess with the Fiend and Braun Strowman. It's just not, not going to happen. So on Raw, messing with McIntyre at least makes sense. And it, and it does bring up a topic that we can discuss later. Will Retribution get involved in some way at SummerSlam? We'll save that for the ultimate SummerSlam preview coming up in a little bit. But let's move on and finish up everything else that happened on Raw and SmackDown. Raw as a whole, uh, by the way, DMs are back this week. I know it's been a couple of busy weeks, but we have a DM loaded show. This one comes from Scoops at EJ Maroon, M-A-R-O-U-N. He says, Raw last week felt like a group project where everyone did their section individually the slides were slammed together with 10 minutes left before class, and everyone used different fonts, colors, and wording. This week felt like someone took the time to go through it and give it a uniform feel. I thought that was a really nice, it's not really a question, but I felt like it was a really nice encapsulation of what I felt about Raw on Monday night, which was last week we said on this show, it seemed like there were six segments, each of them got 30 minutes, and they just completely played out, and they moved on from those storylines. Everything on Monday night was intertwined. The way they used Retribution, uh, HBK, uh, McIntyre with Rollins and, and you know, uh, making him scared that Rey Mysterio might show up and Samoa Joe with the tape and Montez Ford. Like every single segment felt like it had something to do with one another. And you can say maybe they overdid that by like 25% on Monday night. I'll buy that. But it felt like a more cohesive, comprehensively booked show than Raw last week by a mile. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, you've you got Shayna in multiple segments. You've got different people moving through different things throughout the night, uh, which was which was much needed. My, my, my biggest, I guess, overall complaint with Raw was that nothing really felt like it mattered. You know, there's two things. There's kind of two keys to a show. The stuff has to feel like it matters and it all has to be tied together and feel like a living, breathing show. We got the living, breathing show on Monday. That's that was a step in the right direction after the previous week. But we just had a lot of stuff for this kind of being the go home show. There really wasn't a whole ton that kind of got me excited for 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 SummerSlam. It you're right. It felt living, breathing. It also felt like I was in a world of reality somewhat where these are conversations normal people will have. And that's not mm -hmm. always the case. Like, yes. look at look at the Jeff Hardy, um, AJ Styles thing on SmackDown. We'll talk about that next, in fact. We'll, we'll transition into it. But that is not something that normally happens, where someone takes, takes a whiteboard out to, to a ring and 
brings an analytical guy and blah, 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 right? Everything that happened on Raw, for the most part, felt like it lived in a world of reality where, yes, I can see Drew McIntyre having that conversation with HBK. Yeah, I could see Zelina Vega, a manager worried about her team poisoning another person and that person attacking and that person's wife defending them. Really everything with the exception of the ninjas, okay, everything else felt like I was living in a reality-based world of wrestling that these are, ha- and not just the storylines, but how people spoke to one another. No, and SmackDown has actually generally been there for the past couple of weeks. And I think you're seeing that as the SmackDown ratings have actually gone up a little bit over the past few weeks. They feel like they have a cohesive show going on. There were a couple segments this past weekend that, that missed, but I, I think we've seen that a bit on SmackDown and Raw finally got back to it. For sure. Now we're going to go back and forth between Raw and SmackDown here to close out this main event type of segment. Jeff Hardy uh, beat the P.I.S.S. out of AJ Styles. It was cool for me to see Abyss and his alter ego, Joseph Park from the TNA days here. I found the segment funny enough, but I didn't think Styles did a particularly good job, which is very rare. Styles is usually able to carry a segment, especially when he's a heel. They're going to do the IC title match, Intercontinental title match next week on SmackDown. It's going to be the fourth IC title match in a row on TV. Title has not been defended on a pay-per-view since WrestleMania. And AJ Styles hasn't had a pay-per-view match in three months. So what do you think about the way they're treating the Intercontinental title? And and did you like this segment? I thought the segment was okay. Uh, Like you said, it was great seeing Joseph Park Abyss. Um, I I was began fantasy booking in my head ways that, you know, <laughs> we could get into an abyss AJ Styles type of feud or, or, or Jeff Hardy. I mean, because remember, Jeff Hardy and, and Abyss fought at the Hardy compound way back in uh, one of those uh, uh, broken Matt Hardy days. Um, it's it, I, I was surprised AJ kind of like you said, it, it wasn't the best from AJ. He's usually good in these types of spots um, w- w- with the Intercontinental title. I just I'm starting I'm getting confused now with all the different shows that are coming up, what matches are on what shows. Uh, and, and yeah, the, the Intercontinental title, it doesn't look good. We've talked about it a bunch of times. AJ having it is the right guy to have it. Um, but you, you got to have it on a pay-per-view, you know, sometimes. To have a SummerSlam, to not have the Intercontinental title on the line is is a bit surprising. That's how I feel. It's not like they're doing the Intercontinental title match two weeks from now on SmackDown or saving it for payback where... They're going to make it a major match on a pay-per-view. They're doing it on a go-home show, as they have been frequently recently, for SummerSlam. This is the damn Intercontinental Championship. So on one hand, I'm offended that this title is not on the pay-per-view. On the other, I appreciate the WWE sees the title for what it is. It's a working man's title, and they feel like it can draw ratings to SmackDown when they pre-announce title matches on the show. If you're not going to have universal title matches on the show or WWE championship matches on Raw, having that title defended on SmackDown once a month isn't really the worst idea. I just kind of wish the way that they did it was money in the bank or whatever pay-per-view backlash. Okay, we'll do it on SmackDown. It doesn't make a difference. SummerSlam, we build a feud to a level where that feud needs to happen on the pay-per-view. The fact that you're not having, as you said, an intercontinental championship match on SummerSlam. That's a slap in my face as a wrestling fan. That that I, I don't believe that's something that should happen. And by the way, it's Styles Jeff Hardy. This is not a slap. This is not a 
Grand Metalik random number one contender match. This is two guys who could be a world champion contending for this title. I don't know why you don't hold it two days. There's only like five matches on the show or eight matches on the show. Hold it one, two more days and put it on SummerSlam. I don't get it. Yeah, it, it's it, it, it's weird. And there's no, there hasn't been barely any build for this Hardy Styles feud. Not not that's a reason you couldn't put it on SummerSlam, but because they didn't put the, the, the bar fight on the pay-per-view, it pushed everything back. And now we kind of, after a few weeks of nothing, suddenly SummerSlam's here, suddenly payback and everything else is here. And it's, it's got to fit somewhere. But just on principle, the Intercontinental Championship should be on the line at a SummerSlam. 100%. Every single time. No question about it. We also had Sheamus defeat Chad Gable. And man, it <laughs> it hurts my heart um, to see Gable side with the faces earlier in the show. Then get booed as a heel by the PC crowd. And then get his ass kicked in that match. Google baits, or maybe he doesn't. Matt Riddle gives Baron Corbin an opening to attack him from behind during that interview. Corbin calls him Chad afterward, and it was tough to tell whether Gable did that on purpose for Corbin or not. So now we're left sitting here thinking about Chad Gable as follows. The guy can't win a match against anyone of a decent caliber. We don't know whether he's a heel or a face. And we don't know whether he's Shorty G or Chad Gable. This is a guy, lest we not forget, who's an Olympian, who's an incredible wrestler, who we know can work as a heel if you want to turn him in that direction. And we definitely know has fans behind him if you want to push him as a face. I don't know what the hell they're doing with this guy. I would give it a 0.0. I played the sound effect except we're actually getting Chad Gable on television every week now where we weren't before. So that makes it at least a 0.1. But but man, it, it like I said at the beginning here, it really hurts my heart to see the way they're using him. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just conflicted about the whole thing. For like you said, we're getting Chad Gable on our screen. That's good. But, you know, I, I liked when he was taking the King's Ransom to, to do Corbin's work. But now he's that, now he's that. I, I guess I'll just have to give him a few more weeks to see where it goes, or is he just used as a tool to get Sheamus from one from point A to point B to something else? Which you know, we we, we love Gable. We think he can do a lot of different things, but uh, I really just kind of don't really have a ton of reaction other than I don't know where this is going, and maybe it's not going anywhere. And to also go through this whole thing so far without what seemed to be an easy Matt Riddle Chad Gable match to book, I mean a no brainer right? Based on Riddle, German suplexing him and pulling him off of, I think it was Corbin yeah. a couple of weeks ago. So then you book that match and yeah, Gable can lose that match, but you have him wrestle the hell out of Matt Riddle and you give us an awesome showcase and everyone's okay with Gable losing because you're trying to push Riddle as a top star. That's fine. But to not even give us that or announce it for this week, what are you doing? It, it just, it really bothers me how they're Handling Chad Gable. I'm glad he's on TV, but they got to figure something out. And, and honestly, the same, we'll talk about it in a minute. The same goes for Mustafa Ali. It's just, it's insulting to, to me as a fan, the way they've booked those two guys. Uh, we'll move over to Raw Underground. And I have to say, for as much criticism as I slash we have given Raw Underground, what have I said for multiple weeks? I've said, hopefully they learn lessons from the way they presented it that first week and the second week, which were both taped on the same night. And figure out a way to give us give us something meatier, something better. 
And I have to say, I got to give credit where it's due, man. The Raw Underground segments on Monday night in totality and individually, actually, I enjoyed all of them. You had Dolph Ziggler defeat Eric in the best 90 seconds of Raw Underground to date. I liked that we got a challenge and a real match. And they showed us that anything goes with Ziggler's thumb to the eye. And then Ivar pouncing him out of the of the mat ring into the crowd. Now we have a match scheduled for Raw Underground next week. Ziggler versus Ivar. Excited about that. Riddick Moss and Arturo Ruas was also pretty good. The finish was silly because now you're going to give us a no contest even in Raw Underground. Why should there? Why should that ever be the case? It's underground. There should be no rules. But Moss and Ruas are both guys who... If you are a hardcore fan of WWE, you've at least seen them before. Moss has been on Raw, Ruas on NXT. So you at least know they're real competitors. They're larger guys. They're not the jobbers. And then later on, we saw the MMA horsewomen backstage with Shayna Baszler talking to Jessamyn Duke and Marina Shafir. And then Shafir ends up having a match. She wins it. And then she gets kicked in the back of the head by Nia Jax, who wimped out of a showdown with Baszler after attacking her earlier in the show. So they tied in things from regular Raw to Raw Underground. They gave us developing storylines in in two feuds in particular. And the action on the mat was actually good. It looked brutal. Yeah, there's still too many camera cuts. And yeah, some things about it may still be a little corny and Shane on the mic sucks. But if you're trying to give us a different product and something a little bit different in hour three, what they gave us on Monday was at least acceptable at a minimum, if not good. I really liked it. I mean, the only thing I would have liked to have more is the, is the club feel and the the, the music and, and I guess the, the dancing girls as well, because I liked that in the first week. But this was it, it, it feels like they may have found the sweet spot here. Like the, the fighting is just pure brawling. You're going to go a minute, 90 seconds. You're not doing wrestling moves. You're just grappling. And it's almost like amateur wrestling in a sense. And it, it works. It makes someone like Dolph wrestle different than what we normally see because he has this amateur background. It makes Shayna Baszler and these other people do different things than we often see in the ring. And honestly, I think Shane McMahon is great in this role. Like he's an, he's annoying, but like, that's the point. He's basically doing a Dana White impression here. And but a, but a bad t- Dana White impression. And Dana, that's fine. Dana, Dana's a, Dana's a caricature of himself as it is. Sure. <laughs> but, but Shane really appears to like this. Like yes. it, it's coming, it's coming across as that he really enjoys this role, this this idea of doing Raw Underground. Because remember, it was Shane's idea way back when for WWE to buy UFC, uh, way back in the day that didn't happen. He seems to like this MC role and just kind of like he's bouncing around, talking tough with folks and just hyping people up. Like he is adding a lot to this presentation to me. I know he's kind of annoying, but again, I think that's the point, and more than anything he seems to really enjoy this. And that comes through the screen. When he talks about the individual moves, a knee bar or a chokehold, I enjoy all of that. But too much of him on the mic is, ooh, oh, oh. I, see, I think it's, it's fine. But that's what the fans are for. That's what the people around the ring are for. They're already doing that. So you're already getting that mic'd up. I don't need Shane doing that 50 times in a row, every single punch. If there's a four punch combination, he's saying, oh, four times. I I don't need that. But yeah, when he calls out moves or playing the MC and organizing, talking to Ziggler during the first match, making that challenge happen, that stuff is the role I like Shane in, being the 
like you said, the MC of the entire thing. That I appreciate. Yeah, I mean, I'm okay with the oof because the whole point of this is that it's supposed to be fast-paced and quick and lots of weird noises and stuff happening. So I, I honestly don't quite catch every individual ooh, ooh, ooh he's doing. It's more just kind of the, 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 the set and the feel and the environment of the whole thing that it, to me it feels like Shane doing that just kind of fits in it because everybody else around the ring is kind of doing the same thing. I'll tell you this. If I isolated the audio for that, just like I did for Retribution, <laughs> you would 100% hear it. Now, I do have a DM slide from Jordan at Won't Do The Job. He wants to know what the future of Raw Underground looks like now that WWE is moving its main performances to the Amway Center. And don't forget, Raw is also going to be live, too. I don't know the answer to that. Um, Amway Center is big. I've been there dozens of times. There are plenty of areas in the Amway Center where they can create or recreate Raw Underground and do exactly what they're doing. Because they already announced it for next week, we know they're not going to drop it. So there's a couple options. One, they can they can retool the Performance Center as they otherwise would have. Uh, you know, one of the reasons of WWE moving out of the Performance Center is they're going to start training again. They're going to bring back all the de developmental talent, start using it again as a workout facility. That's all really good. But they could still keep the raw underground area as it is and just keep taping that ahead of time and airing it on the live broadcast, considering it's only a couple of 90 second to two minute segments at a time anyway. But if they're going to have people running in and out like they did on Monday, which was the better use for it, by the way, then they do need to set up in the Amway Center. I just think they'll, I don't see it as much of an issue. I think they'll find an area, they'll set it up. Hopefully it'll be a little bit better and it'll look a little bit grungier because they're going to have the money and the space to make it look as much. It won't have a low ceiling. It won't feel like you're doing an underground fight club in an office. And if they do that, and maybe they even give it a special entrance as opposed to just a door with a, a guy standing in front of it, I think it can actually be better at the Amway Center. I, I'm curious. I mean, my guess would be they just keep filming it and, and maybe you have to plan ahead if you're going to have run-ins and stuff like that. But um, in, in terms of long-term, you know, it has changed. We thought the Hurt Business was taking over and they're just <laughs> not doing that anymore, apparently. Um, you know, we, we, we've said the 24-7 title would be a great idea for an underground title. Yeah. Um, well, I guess we'll kind of have to see. It, it seems like they've done this, what, three times now? It, it feels like they're kind of figuring out what works and what doesn't. doesn't. So, now that right now that they're moving to the Amway Center, I guess we'll have to see if they decide to change anything else. Yeah, definitely curious to see what they do with that. Couple more things, then we get to our SummerSlam Ultimate Preview. Grand Metalik defeated Shinsuke Nakamura on SmackDown. Talk about things I never thought would happen <laughs> in 2020. I, I I would love to have seen what Metalik and Nakamura could have done without any restrictions or interferences in a 15 minute match, but it was still cool to see Metalik get that one-on-one -on -one win. I actually prefer Lucha House Party without Kalisto, but I guess good for him to come back from the separated shoulder as long as Lucha House Party keeps getting consistent television time. But Lince Dorado and Grand Metalik have flourished with not being burdened, maybe, with Kalisto being the star. Those two guys, I'm not necessarily saying they're better wrestlers, but they speak better on the microphone. I'm not, also not talking about in terms of the quality of their English. I'm talking about the quality of their promos. They can actually cut promos and they're a good solid tag team together. Having Kalisto part of that, it just doesn't do anything for me whatsoever. 
So I guess it was supposed to be cool that he's back and maybe they're going to have a SmackDown tag team title match at Payback, potentially, with Lucha House Party going up against Shinsuke Nakamura and Cesaro. But at the same time, I was happy for him to be healthy. I was also kind of disappointed because I like Lucha House Party as a two-man operation. Yeah, but, uh, you know, we, t- we talk about the definition of of uh, factions. What what should be the definition of a party? Is two people a party? Three, well, what is it? Uh, three's a party, four's a crowd. Is that how the thing goes? I don't know, something like that. Four, I don't know. Some, yeah. Four's a crowd for something, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. But yeah. A, they're a group. They're not a faction. That, that's what I guess. Yeah. Lucha House Group. No, no, I mean... I, I think it's fine. I think it's fine to have another one back there. It makes it, again, kind of a weird situation where the face team has the numbers advantage that has been an issue with Lucha House Party for a while, and that two versus two, you can kind of see it better. So we'll see. You know, I, I mean, I, I tend to like Cesaro matching up with them more than Nakamura in terms of just kind of how Cesaro plays off of the other ones. Uh, but, you know, it, it was fine, and I imagine we'll get that tag team title match up here pretty soon so it's uh one is lonely two is company three's a crowd and four is a party so they're not even a party so they're not even a party they're not even a party so one additional uh lucha house party member makes it an actual party and would make it a faction and guess what then i might like having Kalisto there if we actually had four people but we don't we only have three uh peyton royce defeated ruby riot via pinfall This was actually a pretty good, surprisingly good singles match that was given a little bit more time than I expected. They're clearly continuing the angle as to whether Riot and Liv Morgan can trust one another, building to a probably tag team number one contendership match next week. I have to believe that that's what we're going to get. Riot and Morgan against the Iconics with the winner facing Bailey and Sasha Banks at payback because that match has already been announced. They're going to have a women's tag team title match at payback. So that's my expectation. I I like that they didn't put Morgan and Riot back together. I said this last week and make them already a good team that's taking down the Iconics. That the fact that they lost singles matches and now next week, I presume are going to win the tag team match and get that opportunity. I think that's much better booking. It is, but we're kind of getting in a situation we often get in with the women's divisions is that we we see so many of the same matchups or mixed matchups for three, four weeks in a row that by the time the big one comes up, you're not all that interested in it. And, you right. know, it, it, it was, you know, Ruby Riot goes back, you know, she was on that losing streak. She got that TV win. It meant a lot. Now we kind of get back to this. The Iconics kind of win and lose, win and lose. Not totally sure what the future is here in terms of storyline for either of them. So it was it, I, it was fine. I guess we'll see what happens moving forward. But if, if you know if, if they lose, if they each lose singles matches and then win a tag match, I'm I'm just not a fan of that at all. Well, it would it would show that they're stronger together than they are apart. That operating as individuals, they don't work very well. That's the idea. But the Iconics have been a team this entire time. And if they're this good individually, they should be even better as a team. That, that's a great, that's a fantastic point. The only thing I would say potentially is that the Iconics, when operating as a team, have not been successful in kayfabe. They they lost the titles, um, you know, and they almost months split up. ago. They, they, they had that little bicker. Yeah, they yeah. almost split up. Months upon months ago, they, they lost the titles. They had multiple attempts. To win the titles um, after returning against Sasha Banks and Bailey, weren't able to. 
And now they're succeeding as individuals, but working together. So I don't know. I'm not sure what the future holds for the Iconics, but look, they're frequently on television. They're actually doing, I think, their best work on the main roster to date, both in terms of promo and in the ring. And Ruby Riot and Liv Morgan, what do we say all the time? They're not getting pushes. They're not on TV. They're on TV. They're getting a push. I think they're going to beat mm-hmm. Sasha Banks and Bailey for the women's tag team titles. That's all positive, even if the booking isn't perfect. It's all positive. Yeah, we'll, we'll, yeah, we'll probably get there. We'll wrap up with the 24-7 championship, which as Raw unfolded on Monday night, I was rolling my eyes. I'm like, I can't believe they're just treating it like this again. I don't even know why I have any expectation that they're going to do any better. But by the time Raw was over, and we will use this to lead into our ultimate preview eventually, I felt as if this was the best utilization of the 24-7 title as a storytelling device that we have gotten in its entire existence. Having Shelton Benjamin win it, then Cedric Alexander win it, then him defend it against Akira Tozawa, only to lose it back to Shelton Benjamin before the show was over. I felt there was an interesting dynamic created by that happening, which we'll be able to discuss coming up in a moment when we get into our ultimate preview. But before I tell you my thought process on it. And before we get into that preview, did you think it was very much of the same or did you maybe feel a little inkling of what I'm talking about? I thought it was, it was good to have it change hands through multiple people in multiple ways throughout the show. That's definitely a way you can do it. I really like it when it's with Shelton Benjamin, because it gives the hurt business something to parade around and whatever. The only thing is I, I'm not a fan of the, I guess post-match attack that immediately leads to a title change just because it makes you feel like the match you just saw didn't mean anything that the, the the general idea of the 24 seven belt having scheduled matches is still a little weird. Um, but I might be nitpicking here overall. I did like what they did with it throughout the show. I will say as a, just a point of order or a point of remembrance, The Hardcore Championship, while it was defended backstage all the time in similar false count anywhere fashion, they did have scheduled Hardcore Championship matches that utilized Hardcore rules. So I don't mind the the, title. That's the the thing right there. But that's what made it different. It it, it had Hardcore hardcore rules, so there was something else that kind of went along with that. The 24-7 belt just doesn't have that. I, I don't mind it being defended in scheduled matches. I thought it was very strange that on a show in which it had already changed hands twice, that there was then an impromptu scheduled title match. That didn't make sense. That felt right. Like if it was scheduled, who who was it? No matter who had the title was going to defend exactly. it. And, but they didn't even say that. Like if they said, hey, Akira Tozawa was going to challenge. I mean, who even had our truth for the 24-7 title at whatever time, you know, in the third hour of Raw, then you're like, okay, then after all those changes happen, and now Cedric Alexander's champion, that is interesting. Okay, cool. Now the title changed, so it's a different, cha- you know, a different champion, but it's the same challenger. But they didn't even announce that that match was happening. So, and they didn't and, say and it. On, can, you, they didn't say it on commentary either. Yeah, and you can set up. Oh, you won the championship. You're happy. Oh crap! I realized I just have to defend it against somebody here, and now you're concerned, and just like kind of a segue to to, to explain that. Exactly. Now we will get into why I thought this was particularly interesting with SummerSlam coming up in a moment. But the only way we're going to get to that is by starting our 2020 WWE SummerSlam Ultimate Preview. We're going to break down every single match on the show along with the storylines 
from Raw and SmackDown that are taking us into them. Before we get into the matches, a couple DMs to kind of set the stage for SummerSlam this week. The first one coming from Sean McDermott at I'm Bored Brother. He said, the taglines for pay-per-views have meant something somewhat recently. For SummerSlam, you'll never see it coming. Are we going to get swerved big time in a story or match result we didn't see coming? I will leave that to you, Chris. Do you think that tagline will have direct implications on SummerSlam itself? I I don't know. I mean, I, mean, I guess all these taglines have you know, played into it. I mean, horror show kind of did, kind of didn't. That was more of a I, I think, than anything. Yeah, I, I mean, it. it is a weird tagline and that, like, you'll never see it coming. Could that mean a surprise entrance or you'll never see it coming because there's no fans in the crowd? It, it's it's <laughs> like well, literal. Well, <laughs> I, considering we have payback the very next week, considering we have a bunch of shows going on and considering there are no fans, I'm just generally skeptical of any major surprises because they seem to be announcing almost everything ahead of time to try to boost a a rating or something like that. So I'm going to say no. Okay, that's fair. I am going to go the opposite direction. I think we will see something surprising. And I don't even think it'll be one thing. I think it could be as many as three surprises over the course of the show. And I'm not talking about returns or debuts or anything like that. I'm saying finishes to matches. Now, is that what I am going to like as a wrestling fan? Am I going to be positive about that when we do our instant analysis Sunday night immediately after SummerSlam goes off the air? Maybe. (laughs) I don't know. I'm going to have to see them develop. But I think that in three title matches on this show, including both main events, there may be things that happen that WWE thinks we won't see coming that I think I already do see coming. Does that make sense? Well, now, now, I mean, now that they told us, now we're going to think about it and see it coming. Well, but even even so, I mean, if you're going to book out the two main events of this show, there's a couple ways that you could very easily see them ending that WWE thinks would be surprise finishes, but I think a lot of fans may be expecting. So that's I, how I'm going mean, if, to if If this tagline is about surprise finishes that aren't like run-ins or something like that, then I don't know. That's what I'm thinking. That's kind of that's kind of what I'm thinking a little bit. But we'll get to all that and we'll talk about what that may or may not mean as the matches go on. We also have Daniel Greer at Daniel Greer. He said, what storyline will Retribution cause havoc on during SummerSlam, if any? And will Retribution actually reveal themselves at SummerSlam? I'm going to give you that one again. What do you think? Oof. Um, I I do think they will be involved in, in some form i have no idea what because all we've seen is just general bits of chaos they haven't really you know affected a match other than morrison biggie but that restarted anyway so it's i I don't know i I honestly i have no idea but i'm like i'm okay with that i'm actually kind of looking forward to see what they do and to see what they do i guess this friday first time in the thunderdome but um i don't know I, i i don't think they'll get involved in McIntyre, uh, McIntyre Orton. Don't think they'll get involved in Braun Fiend. Um, I don't know. I don't know. No one really, really fits because they've kind of been all over the place. I think the only match where it would make any sense for them to get involved would be McIntyre Orton because of what happened at the beginning of the show and because of the way McIntyre called them out. 
And if you do believe that Orton should win the title, but McIntyre should still look strong, they could either get involved in the match or potentially beat him up in the parking lot or backstage mm-hmm. or something else beforehand, weakening him enough where if he does lose the title to Orton, it becomes believable. And that, I guess, that I guess that's true. So, yeah, I so, can see that. So, But I'm not saying I, I expect that, but if it does happen, that is the way in which I think it would transpire. I do not think Retribution will reveal themselves. If you guys remember about a month ago, my booking for SummerSlam, my expectation in the main event was that Undisputed Era would attack Drew McIntyre, whether after he retained the title over Orton or after he lost the title. I expected Undisputed Era to attack McIntyre after SummerSlam the same way they did after TakeOver, that that match where he won the title or where he retained the title. I don't remember. Um, But with Undisputed Era... With there being no indication that Undisputed Era is coming right now, Adam Cole still has the match with Pat McAfee Saturday at TakeOver. Now you have Retribution, which doesn't seem like it is Undisputed Era, but maybe it is. Maybe this whole, the group that calls themselves Retribution, it's to hide that they're actually Undisputed Era and they reveal that. That's all possible. And if that's what transpires, I can kind of see that working. But... That is not my expectation at this time. I, I don't necessarily think Retribution is going to get involved in the ring at SummerSlam. Does that make sense? I, yeah, I mean, I guess I just want to see more of a... I guess I want to see, like, promos from Retribution, essentially. Like, Something kind of... Ex- Something, yeah, yeah, explaining themselves a little bit more here. Like, like, we've got the chaos going down. The reveal now would feel like... You could do it, but I feel like you can still build a lot into this before you actually do it. You really can. And that's why my idea of them combining it with the hacker or just using some of those same sure. concepts would have really worked because all those promos were there, there were voiceovers and they were telling you what the person's mission was and showing you things. Hell, on Raw, they even used backstage cameras to talk about amplified security and that a videotape was made. The hacker could have released that. You know, showing Zelina Vega poisoning Montez Ford. Did so, we ever figure out? Did we ever figure out where Angelo Dawkins got that video? Uh, WWE security. Okay, I'm, they I amped up security part. presence because of retribution. They caught that on camera. Samoa Joe and Angelo Dawkins knew about it, and so on and so forth. So, gotcha. yeah, that's how that happened. But, but that's the whole point of this entire thing is that yeah, if you're gonna debut retribution. In a way, if you're going to have them take those masks off and reveal themselves on SummerSlam, then to this point, they should have done a better job building them. It's for that reason, I don't think they will be revealed, even if they do have some impact. But I did mention the United States Championship, Apollo Crews defending his title against MVP. Uh, I, I mentioned that kind of a little bit at the close of our first segment. So let's start with it when we get into our ultimate preview. On Raw Monday night, I thought we saw quality promos before the match from both MVP and Cruz. And I liked the stipulation that with Cruz beating Shelton Benjamin, it meant Benjamin and Bobby Lashley were banned from ringside at SummerSlam. It was strange that the Cruz Benjamin match was not a title match considering Benjamin beat him last week. And if you're going to have Cruz win anyway, there's no harm with the IC title being on the line. If Benjamin wins, he's the champion. If he loses, those guys are barred from ringside. Very easy to make that booking. So That was strange. Then we got later in the show, a six-man elimination tag team match that I thought had some confusing booking. Mustafa Ali 
and Ricochet get absolutely buried by Bobby Lashley. And that is a term that gets overused. But in this case, in this match, it fits. Ali won his first match back, then got obliterated a few weeks ago by Lashley. Wasn't on the show last week, gets back on the show this week and gets murdered by this guy. Then you have Apollo Crews looking decently strong. He got two pinfall victories, including the finisher win over MVP. But now he's pinned MVP twice clean, only to lose the match to Lashley and previously lose last week to Benjamin. Lashley isn't even in the title match Sunday. So what's the point of having this match and having your champion lose to Benjamin and Lashley when he's going to be fighting MVP on Sunday? Yeah, I mean, my head is spinning with you explaining exactly what's going on in this feud. It makes sense. So, so going back to Monday's match, I want to make sure I didn't miss something here. Cruz, throughout the stipulation, if I lose, if I win, Lashley and Benjamin can't be at ringside for a match at SummerSlam. Was there any? Was there any stipulation if Cruz lost? If Cruz, uh, no. That's why I think the IC title should right. Have been- so, so why did the Hurt or, Business sorry, accept the United States champion? Yeah, yeah. Why, why did the Hurt Business accept that matchup? There was there was nothing for them to gain other than to beat up Apollo Crews maybe in a match. I don't know. Like exactly, it's exactly what you said. You, you put put the title on the line. Cruz wins. You know, it, it just it, it it was weird from the beginning because it, it felt like the Hurt Business, who's supposed to be this you know really smart group was was making kind of a, putting themselves in a dumb stipulation and they lost out of, uh, out because of it and yes i keep forgetting who is who cruz is fighting for this uh championship at SummerSlam because we it keeps being mvp but i keep seeing matches with shelton benjamin who's beating him and then lashley looks great but he's not in the match it's very weird i love the hurt business i want them to shine they, they, we're kind of going in circles here So uh, a point of explanation, the reason why that stipulation got added is because crew goaded MVP into it. He played to his ego. And because of that, that match was already scheduled. Cruz and Benjamin was already scheduled. But Cruz before the match basically got MVP to agree to that stipulation. And it came back to backfire. MVP is like, hey, we got a a three on one advantage here. Of course, we're going to win. I'm going to that means I get the guys at ringside with me. But he didn't think it would backfire. It ultimately did. But you have the three-on-one advantage, but it's not a three-on-one match. So, like, wouldn't you want to save that for the actual summer? summer? I Like, I get it. I get what they were going for. I just think it, it made kind of MVP look like a chump. Maybe a little bit, yeah. But, I mean, that's why if you if that was an intercontinental title match or if they said, hey, this yes. guy beat you last week, why don't you put the title on the line? And yeah. he said, okay, fine. Then if I win, this happens. It makes total booking sense. It yeah. Because Cruz was going to win anyway, there was no harm with that. And yes, I guess we could sit here and kind of say, well, okay, well, they'll have the United States Championship match at the pay-per-view. Why would MVP want Benjamin to win it if he's going for the title, you know, five days later? Maybe that is part of the reason, but at least someone else from the Hurt Business would have won it. Yeah, or, or just say w- winner gets to pick the stipulation of the match. Cruz wins, he picks the stipulation of nobody ringside. You know, something like that. Something like that. But so that was a mess. In terms of a prediction for the match, in the segments between the two matches, I think we got tipped off on what's going to happen Sunday. Cruz seemed to offend Cedric Alexander by not choosing him for the six-man tag team match, which was an elimination match. MVP then started talking to him on the road case, got into his head again. Then later in the show, and this is where the 24-7 title comes into play, 
when Cedric won the 24-7 championship, it seemed like he was gaining confidence where he was saying to himself, all right, I was able to do this even though I wasn't involved. And he retained it against Akira Tozawa. But then he quickly lost the title. And why did he lose it? Because no one else had his back. I'm thinking we're going to get a little bit of a schmoz finish here. Alexander's going to run in because guess what? Benjamin and Lashley are barred from ringside, but no one else is barred from ringside. I think Alexander runs in at the end, turns heel, costs Apollo Crews the United States Championship, and MVP wins the title. And then, yes, we get Cruz MVP rematch one week later at Payback. And the Hurt Business becomes a faction. With four people, correct. Yes, more most important out of all of that. I I, I think that happens. I, I you know, they, they seem to really lean into that with that segment there. Maybe, maybe you do a rematch of Payback. It, it has been weird to have MVP Apollo Crews kind of, again, to continue this. Why is it not Crews versus Lashley? I'm I, I'm wondering whether how they feel about Crews in his future, where things are going. Do they want to change the title to, 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 to MVP or somebody else? We'll see. Whatever it is, I'm ready for Apollo Crews to kind of, I don't know, I guess move on to some something else. Even if it's Cedric Alexander, like that's cool too. But but it's it, it's been a, it's felt like a lot of the same stuff for the past two months. This is what I'll say. I, I'm I'm in agreement that this has gone on long, and, and certainly Cruz. It appears as if he may may have contracted coronavirus, and you know they had to delay the match, and they had to stretch it out sure. longer than they were originally planning to. But I'm not normally a fan of one-week title reigns and quick changes. I think it's a booking crutch, and it's pretty stupid usually. In this particular case, I would accept it. If Cruz loses the title to MVP with the booking I just gave you, wins it back at payback, and then starts a feud with Lashley that culminates at the following pay-per-view, whatever the hell they end up doing in September, and then loses to Lashley, and now Lashley is your United States champion— All of that I buy. I think that's really good booking. It tells a full, complete story. And it would make sense that MVP wins the title only by circumstance. Cruz gets it back, looks strong as now a two-time champion, and and then loses it, keeps it for another month, and then loses it to Lashley. That's acceptable. It also, as I mentioned earlier, is a good use of the 24-7 title. The fact that it wasn't just that Alexander lost it because no one had his back, but it was Benjamin that wins it. So now you have a week with the Hurt Business having two titles. Then maybe again, if Benjamin is able to keep it for a while, which now he should, hopefully. Lashley wins the title a month. They have two titles again. I think that looks good. You have a real faction in the Hurt Business with four people. You have a multi-time champion in Apollo Crews. And then the end result would be next month, Bobby Lashley, a stronger United States champion, taking the title. For me, that works on all phases. I I just need a little more fire in this feud if it's going to be going out for this long it's going to kind of be coming a blood feud i need a little bit more edge to it maybe cedric alexander does something and we when we get to that but it, it feels like it's been quite surface level so far right it's almost the exact opposite of seth rollins ray mysterio where they're poking out eyes yeah. they're trying to ruin careers they're bludgeoning each other and this is all you don't want to be in the hurt business basically and it's, it seems like they could there could be a little bit more storyline behind it. I do agree with you on that. Uh, Raw Tag Team Championship. We have the Street Profits will be defending the titles against the newly formed tag team of Andrade and Angel Garza. On Monday night, you saw Garza beat Ivar in a match, and it was weird to see Ivar lose so easily. 
I'm going to let it go, especially with just a falling drop kick. But I mean, Garza didn't hit his finisher. I guess he couldn't hit his finisher on him because he's a little bit too big for the wing clipper. But the match really served as a vehicle to continue the Street Profit storyline with Angelo Dawkins taunting Garza and Samoa Joe being maybe the MVP of Raw once again, <laughs> teasing the backstage security camera video showing Zelina Vega poisoning Montez Ford. I thought the video was going to show us Garza like making out with Charlie, then making out with that Demi Burnett girl, and maybe even making out with Zelina Vega and all of them getting angry and something like that happening. Instead, they pay off the poisoning angle. I kind of wish it was someone else other than them. And that because now it's like every time these people claim it's not them, Seamus with the, the DUI thing and Zelina Vega with this, it's almost like the resolution it's like, oh, yeah, it was them after all. You kind of want it to be a surprise. I want it to be someone I wasn't expecting. Instead, it's just Selena Vega. So they told that story. And I also don't get the repeated appearances of this Demi Burnett bachelor girl. They've provided no context as to why she's there. <laughs> Is she dating Angel Garza? It doesn't seem that way because she's talking to a ton of other guys. They don't promote her appearances. So it doesn't seem like bachelor fans have a reason to tune in. I don't think she's dating any of the superstars in real life. No. I can't explain it when they're paying Chuck to be there already. Chuck is better in every way. And I, I didn't mean it in this manner, but I will, you know, say it in this manner. That's the most action I've had all year. Thank you for waiting, knowing that sound drop was coming. But Chuck's better as an actress. She's better as a storyteller. I don't know why they inserted Demi Burnett here, but okay, they did. And then later yeah. in the show, and I'll let you go right after this. I'm sorry. Yeah. Later in the show, I just want to wrap it up. Montez Ford beats Andrade. I didn't think this match even needed to happen. I would have preferred the backstage attack to be longer. I'm not sure what was gained by Ford beating Andrade in three minutes, no matter the, the result of Sunday's match. And I just would have preferred to see his return to the ring happen at the pay-per-view. It just was a totally wasted segment for me. Now go ahead. I'm sorry. Yes, yes, yes. With the Demi thing, I don't get it. I'm someone who watches The Bachelor. I text my our group chat every time she shows up on raw for some reason but she's not promoting anything she's not you know the bachelor is an abc show it's not a usa show she's not even actually on the bachelor anymore because it's not like you're repeatedly on these shows it's it's extremely weird i have no idea why it keeps happening <laughs> but i just keep laughing every time i see it happen and then yeah the the poisoning was like we're just we're done with that now apparently someone she tried to kill somebody like, and we're just, are we, are we not going to treat this more seriously? Like, is, it, is she going to be suspended? Is she like, <laughs> right. Is right. like, this is like, it was just like, oh, it's just a poisoning, whatever. We move on to the next one. And I know I just talked about wanting more of an edge in the Apollo Crews MVP stuff. But if you're going to give me that edge, you got to like, you know, really sell it. So yeah, it, she could, she could have said, look, it, it was just eye drops or it was just like I wasn't trying to hurt him while she's yeah, running I, away from Bianca Belair or something you know yeah I I, I don't know it's just it, 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 these this feud has taken a very strange couple of turns uh Montez Ford exactly why do this now bring him back for the title match so you have some intrigue going into the match like that's it's kind of just basic stuff there so uh, are, are we doing a are we doing a pick on this? Are we doing picks on these? Or oh what? yeah, I was gonna I was gonna prompt you for that. Yeah, uh, what okay. what do you think is gonna happen here? I, you know, I, I can't help but think that the profits got over on Monday, 
to put Andrade and Angel Garza over on Sunday. That's my thought, too. I think Andrade and Angel Garza win the tag belts. This feud keeps going forward. As for the other, we just talked about it uh, the previous semester. I guess we didn't give a pick. I guess I'll pick MVP to win, and it sounded like you are as well. Oh, I thought we did give picks. Yeah, uh, I have... We kind of did predictions, but I just wanted to wrap up. Yeah, I have MVP winning the title um, temporarily, yes. So same as you. And then when it comes to this, I'm going back and forth. You know, man, I just wish they had done the entire Dawkins-Bianca Belair, you know, side-by-side angle. And then rather than have Montez Ford attack early when they were facing off while getting interviewed, after the poisoning thing gets revealed, they're fighting backstage. Again, they're yelling at each other. And then Montez Ford attacks. That makes so much more sense. So you know he's okay. You know he's going to wrestle Sunday, but you don't see him in the ring. The fact that they did that match just really pisses me off. I had to state that one more time. I do have Andrade and Angel Garza taking the titles. I think we're going to see a very heavy title change show. I think they kind of stayed relatively stagnant while they were in the Performance Center coming out of WrestleMania. Now that WWE is going back to Amway Center, I think they're going to kind of refresh their storylines back to a regular arena, I should say, going to Amway Center. I think they're going to refresh their storylines. And in most of these matches, we're going to see a title change and or some sort of resolution. That's my expectation. So those are the first two matches. I expect those to be the undercard of the show. One of those, honestly, may even be on the kickoff show, perhaps the Raw tag team match, or they could just announce a totally different match for the kickoff show. But because we have to tape this before SmackDown on Friday, we can't wait an entire week and go and go tape this one day before SummerSlam. We have to just hope that they don't add much more on SmackDown. Moving on, we do have a couple stipulation matches. Hair versus hair, Mandy Rose against Sonya Deville. Mandy Rose cut a fire promo on SmackDown. I don't care whether it was written or not. That was some good character development from Mandy. You believed in her, in her character, in the type of life that she's led, that she hasn't just been gifted everything, that she's actually earned it. And I thought she delivered it really well. I also really liked her new look, much more modern and so much less pinup model than what she was doing before. She kind of looked like Major Guns from back in WCW. I don't know if you picked that up, but she was wearing camouflage and she had the, the straight dirty blonde hair, and obviously the rest of her. Um, it, I just got big time major guns vibes, which is not something <laughs> I've even, I haven't even thought about her in like 15 years. That was funny. Uh, and then Sonya Deville, she responded with a great promo as well. So I am really excited for this match. And I'll go first with a prediction because there's not much to talk about here. I think Mandy Rose is going to win. I think Sonya Deville can deal with having a shaved head or really short hair for a period of time. As she grows it out, Mandy already kind of got her hair cut in the feud. So to bald out Mandy, unless she's going away for an injury surgery or needs to take a break or is going on vacation, I don't see why they would do that with her. Sonia is someone who I think can lose the match, still operate. She's gotten over on Mandy the majority of the time during this feud. So the natural end to this feud is for Mandy to win and maybe even get a little bit of help from Otis along the way. Yeah, you know, when Mandy mentioned in that promo, I wasn't given everything. I was working two jobs so I could do this, yada, yada. Like, that's that's such a little thing that goes so far in making you just care about these characters. That's like the basic storytelling that all of these all of these wrestling characters we see. I want to know how they got to this point in their life. Like, just tell us these basic stories. That's how you get us invested. Not, not by 
poisoning somebody, you know, just like these basic, tell us who this person is. We, I could, we could use this Mandy promo weeks ago, months ago, really, I think would have gone a long way and she delivered it. Uh, great. I have the same pick. Sonia has also been great throughout this entire feud. She's been killing it. I think she's got a great uh, future um, uh, in WWE. And also, side note, thankful that she's okay after a scary incident uh, in real life. Someone potentially trying to kidnap her. She's safe. <laughs> she, uh, I don't know if you saw it or not. But uh, pretty crazy. Thankfully, she's safe and police are taking care of everything. That's great. Uh, I, I also see Mandy winning this match. And I, I think, you know, th- that that promo setup kind of made me really excited for both of them moving forward. Absolutely. I think they have a true, legitimate star of the women's division in Sonya Deville. And in Mandy Rose, they have someone who is totally capable, a believable champion, decent in the ring. Now we know can cut a pretty decent promo. So they have... Long-term careers, both of them. I think we've already always known that. But with Sonia, man, every single week that she gets an opportunity to speak or do something, she becomes a main eventer in my eyes. And I think this past week was another example, as you mentioned. Man, really scary situation. Like, I think it was like a 24 or 26-year-old dude did a home invasion, attempted kidnapping, and she happened to have security uh, meaning her alarm system, it went off and they were able to run out of the house when they noticed this guy was there. He straight up admitted to what he was doing uh, to police in I think it was Hillsborough County in Florida. Man, that's scary. He had like zip ties and all those types of things. People are freaking nuts. And I'm very happy she's safe and sound. Um, tough week for her. You know, she seems like a very strong-minded person. So I, I hope that it doesn't affect her personally too long-term. But uh, excited for her to get this opportunity in the match. And hopefully the building of this match and, and the booking of it with Mandy and laying it out takes a mind off, her mind off uh, what was, <laughs> you know, I laugh, but a really scary situation that could have ended terribly for her. But you know what? Also, I kind of think that, <laughs> let's be honest, if this guy ended up going face-to-face with Sonya Deville, hopefully she would have absolutely kicked the shit out of him. So, yeah. you know, uh, that's at least the hope. But no, um, scary situation and I'm glad she's okay. Uh, moving on, yep. on the SummerSlam Ultimate Preview, another stipulation match, Seth Rollins against Dominic Mysterio in what seems to now be a street fight. Um, they didn't really do a good job explaining this. A couple of weeks ago during the contract signing, Rollins basically told Mysterio he could use any weapon he wanted, the kendo stick uh, being the weapon of choice. And now Rey Mysterio on Monday announced it as a street fight, which means anything goes for both of them. I don't really know what that means. Maybe it does mean that we're going to get Rey Mysterio and Murphy involvement. That's my expectation. In terms of what happened Monday night, I enjoyed Rollins being paranoid and on high alert for Rey Mysterio throughout Raw. First in the backstage segment with Drew McIntyre that I mentioned was really good. And then during the Natalia mickey James match, normally I would bitch that they interrupted a women's match, of course, and they ignored that. The thing ended in a double countout. It wasn't a real match. It was meant just to be a vehicle for this interaction between Seth Rollins and Samoa Joe to happen. So because of that, uh, I was fine with that. We're going to get that match next week, I'm sure. Mickey James and Natalia. Anyway, who cares? I do like, by the way, the continued gimmick with Natalia and Lana. I think it works. The basically social influencers who are really egotistical and don't realize that they're just annoying. So I think that's great. Uh, the dueling promos later in the show between Rey Mysterio, who returned, and Seth Rollins, they were solid enough. The kendo stick attack, 
was some great retribution, no pun intended, for what happened last week to Dominic. So I think ultimately the match has been built built well. Has it gone on a little too long? Maybe. But clearly the end goal was for something to happen at SummerSlam. We're getting Rollins and Dominic Mysterio. We know Rey Mysterio will at least be around. We'll do a prediction in a moment. But I liked what happened Monday night. And I am excited ultimately for this match. So Raw opened up by giving us like the preview of everything that's coming on the show. Here are some of the matches. HBK is going to be here. And Rey Mysterio might be here. And, you know, I'm always someone who's like, no, I want the surprise. Don't tell me ahead of time. Uh, you, you know, you kind of kind of ruin the moment. It's different, though, obviously, without crowds. I get that. So when they say Rey Mysterio might be here, obviously, you know, that means he's going to be there. Of course. But they built it up throughout the show to, like, continue to talk about whether or not he'll be here. And they showed us Seth Rollins concerned whether or not Rey Mysterio was going to be here. He was he was uh, worried, essentially. That's great. If you're going to do these types of things, really lean into that mystery and how that mystery affects people. And that was great, uh, great setup with Seth being uh, afraid and, and paranoid and checking in stuff throughout the night. Again, we, we said it earlier, the show felt like it was just living and breathing and kind of adjusting as things happened in kayfabe life, which is exactly how every show should be. I thought, you know, obviously they call out Seth and Murphy, Murphy and them come out, they leave the ring was what it was it was it was perfectly fine to set up the match that that that's a good way to set up the match as for the pick i i guess i gotta go seth rollins here i don't see dominic winning this match um but i i think they've done a decent enough job actually getting me excited for a seth rollins versus dominic match they definitely have and yes with him being him being seth rollins a chicken shit heel the paranoid high alert running around like a, a chicken with his head cut off interrupting Tom Phillips and bar, uh, trading barbs with Samoa Joe. That all made so much sense and it worked so well for me. I'm going to disagree on the prediction though. I think we're going to see Dominic Mysterio win this match because look, Rollins has been the one to come out on top throughout this entire feud. He extracted Rey Mysterio's eye. Okay, let's not forget what happened at the horror show at Extreme Rules. You name the stipulation, I don't care. You have a match with me. That eye came out in kayfabe, okay? So what, you're now going to have Seth Rollins also beat the Sun? No, I think uh, it's a street fight. You know, I think that they're going to lean into that. Dominic will get some offense in with the kendo sticks. Those will give him a crutch early on in the match. At some point, I think something will happen. Maybe Murphy runs out to try to help Rollins. That leads Rey Mysterio out. Mysterio evens things out a little bit. Rollins gets a little bit distracted. I don't know takes a kendo stick upside the head. Who the hell knows what they do? I think Dominic Mysterio wins this match and this feud finally ends on Sunday night. We think it ends with Dominic's win, I guess. I mean, I guess if, I mean, I guess it has to end in some form with, with, with the Mysterios on top, I guess. I guess it's possible. I just, it seems to me like, you know, I guess in a vacuum or out of context, if you see Dominic Mysterio beats Seth Rollins in a match that seems a little weird, I guess the street fight is a way to get around it. I guess I'm I'm still picking I'm still picking Seth here. The only way I could see this continuing is I don't know if in September maybe they want to do Hell in a Cell, but unless they're going to do something like that, 
and do a Hell in a Cell blow-off match between Rollins and Rey Mysterio, then I don't know what else they can do. I mean, I mean so, like, I don't know if they have to do anything. I mean, Dominic Mysterio is not a regular wrestler. Rey Mysterio is, could easily take time off or do, do whatever. You know, he lives in California and things are weird right now. It's not like the Mysterios have to be around every week, like like they're like they're a, like they're a normal part of every week. While, while, no, but, while but Seth Rollins, is, and he can move on but to Rollins is that, that's the right. thing. Rollins is. So, I mean, there's also the scenario where, look, Becky, let, let's take it into real life. Becky announced she was pregnant in April, right? Um, so we're now about five months since March. So four months, maybe she was a month already. So she's maybe five months yeah. pregnant. And, and if you go, if you go another month and, or even two into October with this feud, if you want to continue it and have Seth lose to Mysterio at a Hell in a Cell type show, that eliminates, that gives Rollins a reason to step away from television while his wife gives birth. So theoretically, you could do it in that manner, have Rollins win this, have the Mysterios take a total month off, and then maybe come back in October, challenge him to Hell in a Cell and go from there. But let's not forget, Rollins is a part of the product right now. And yes, the Mysterios can go away, but what is Rollins going to do in the interim? Right. I, I, I guess that's a good point as well. So, so there, there's a there's a few ways I think you could do this. So I, this is our first uh this is our first match where we have different picks here. No, that's that's a good thing. That's that's a that's exactly what we want from this segment. Now I do have a DM slide here from Chris Newman. I believe this is a first time slider at Newman HD. He said, Do you think WWE booked the Seth Rollins Ray Mysterio feud backwards? Should they have had Rollins face Dominic first at Extreme Rules? and then Ray at SummerSlam. I think there's something to be said for that. They could have gone with Mysterio's eye is not healed in time. So he fights Dominic. Mysterio, Ray Mysterio tells him not to. He pokes out Dominic's eye, and now both of them have a reason to be continuously mad. Ray Mysterio gets revenge for his son at SummerSlam. You could have booked it that way. Because we don't know what the finish is going to be, I'm not going to say that they booked it in reverse yet, but I can definitely see that being the case. Also, if you're going to do an eye versus eye match, do you want Dominic in that match or do you want Rey Mysterio? I don't really know. So there is something to it, Chris uh, Newman. I think that's a a fair point, but I'm going to have to see what the result is of this match before I come to that determination. Uh, Chris Vanini, yeah. do you agree with that? I mean, I will say I don't think they booked this feud with a clear endpoint determined and then built it backwards from there because we've already had someone's eye get moved, get removed, and we're still continuing on with this thing. The, the feud has been really up and down, kind of all over the place at, at a lot of times. It kind of just seems like they're adjusting to things on the fly. Could they have done it differently? No, I think the way they've done it is the better way to do it. It, it would have been weird. I mean, you needed something extreme to happen for Dominic to want to get in this position. So I, I think you probably needed something like that to happen. Um, so, yeah. Sure. Now, normally for pay-per-views, you might get a co-main event. But for SummerSlam, I got to give them credit. There's like a quad main event. There are two women's championship matches, the Universal Championship match and the WWE Championship match. And because the women storyline go together between SmackDown and Raw. I feel like we should attack that first. And it does seem like the SmackDown Women's Championship with Bayley defending against Asuka is what's probably going to open SummerSlam in terms of the main card. 
the idea being that Asuka would have enough time to recover for another match later in the night. So let's talk about the SmackDown portion first, and then we'll go on to talk about the Raw portion. The SmackDown portion basically almost began Friday with the Women's Battle Royal. Asuka being included in that match was a nice surprise. And the fact that she went through and won the entire thing was an even bigger shocker. So that segment, I told you guys, Naomi's definitely going to win this. There's no question about it. Well, the Silver King was wrong, first of all. Uh, But second of all, they just swerved me totally in the booking with them having that match. On one hand, it's really smart booking, considering she's been feuding with both Sasha Banks and Bailey, plus Kyrie Sane is retired. On the other hand, this was a chance to give another woman a big moment at SummerSlam that was missed. So it depends which side of the coin you want to see. I'll accept either. I like that they clearly set up the women's tag team number one contendership in this match after announcing it would be defended basically five minutes before it began. And they did that with the Iconics, Ruby Riot, and Liv Morgan. And obviously that continued to play out on Raw. I was surprised ultimately that Naomi wasn't part of the finish. I guess they're continuing the Lacey Evans feud. There were a few too many eliminations by people that were already eliminated for my taste. But we did see some NXT women get key moments in the match, and that was great. Sasha Banks and Bailey cut a promo before. They did the ring announcing. They are now as comfortable in their skin as Becky Lynch was during her run two years ago. So I thought it was yes. really cool to see them operate at that level. But now we know that it's going to be Asuka fighting Bailey for the SmackDown Women's Championship. That was the end result of SmackDown. We will do predictions for both matches at the very end. I'm just curious what you thought about that booking decision for Asuka, the challenge for both titles, and what you thought about the Battle Royal on Friday night. So I like the final result. I like the idea that Asuka is going to compete for both titles. Yes, I would have loved to see somebody else in the spot here. Would have loved to see Naomi. You know, we've talked about that for several weeks now. But the idea of one person fighting for two separate belts and two separate matches, I think is really cool. And and Asuka, we know, will be able to deliver. My problem with the Battle Royal was, and I'm kind of surprised you didn't say this, given you've brought this up several times when it comes to the women's belts. Why were the Raw women superstars in the SmackDown Battle Royal? It was a tri-brand Battle Royal. They announced that. Oh, okay. I must have missed that somewhere. Okay. The, well, that, the, reasoning, the reasoning for the Battle Royal was that Bailey has... Bailey's legitimately beat everyone on SmackDown, like some of them more than yeah. once because her title reign is never ending. So they brought in women from Smack, uh, from NXT and Raw to give a lot of people an opportunity at the title. Okay, I must have missed that announcement, whatever, at the beginning of the match. Okay, that that, that makes more sense. And still, it's, it, it, it's still weird. It continues to add to Raw, <laughs> Raw superstars having SmackDown belts. And SmackDown superstars on Raw doing these things. It, it continues to make it weird, but they've kind of, I guess, booked themselves into the spot. Um, Battle Royal was fine. I, I think it's interesting that Shayna Baszler was the last one uh, to, to be in that spot and then get eliminated. She's kind of, they got, they've really got her bouncing around a million different things right now. And I'm, I'm wondering if they're trying to see where she fits, uh, fits best. Um, but in the end, I'm excited for this setup and, and, and how it plays out at SummerSlam. I think Shayna Baszler over Friday night and Monday night was booked the strongest that she has been, even stronger than the lead up to WrestleMania. Yes, I know that's crazy what I'm saying, right? Because she eliminated all the women in the elimination chamber, but whatever. But that ultimately failed because she was almost too dominant where no one else got any offense in on her. You didn't see her have to fight and battle. It just seemed like 
she was so much better than everyone else that everyone else sucked. It made, rather than that making Baszler look good, it made everyone else look bad. What yeah. they did on Friday and Monday with Baszler to me made her look strong. And we'll transition to Raw, where you had Asuka and Shayna Baszler defeat Sasha Banks and Bailey in a tag team match. Asuka did great work in the two-on-one situation. And I thought it was a really nice piece of booking that Baszler came back to make the save after the Nia Jax attack that we mentioned earlier. You don't often see that. Not just that, they had Shayna Baszler kick out of the old boss and hug connection finisher, the backstabber into the Bailey to belly. And then she tapped out Bailey clean in the yeah. middle of the ring. Don't for, by the way, Bailey's now lost as champion twice to Kyrie Sane and Shayna Baszler, both raw superstars. I'm okay with it. Bailey's so strong, you don't even remember that she lost. It doesn't matter at all. But no, she's still, had a few losses here too to, to Asuka and tapped out pretty quickly recently too. She did lose to Asuka as well. You're right. So now um, Bailey has tapped out and lost to multiple people. But the key to this was it was a huge moment for Baszler and a great tag team match. They turned Baszler on Friday and Monday, really more Monday, into a legitimate women's main eventer. She already was that, but they told it in storyline and booking. So before we get to the prediction, what did you think about the booking and how that was handled on Monday? One thing that stuck out, and again, maybe I missed something here, so I'm going to ask this question. When when Shayna got attacked during the tag match, why was that not a DQ? So in kayfabe, I think, and this is the same thing that happens when a tag team partner gets pulled down off the apron by the other not legal partner. Uh, I think when you're not legal in the match, if an interference happens, it's not a disqualification. Mm, that would make sense. Cause I mean, this is obviously a, different, a little different with people from the outside and whatever, but I guess that would I make sense. I guess it, it's this, never been, I did not find this as objectionable as the no contest bullshit that they've been pulling. Sure. Sure. And, and it's just, it came to mind and sometimes these rules come up in my head. Like when you have a triple threat and it's automatically a non DQ, apparently why, mm. why there aren't always weapons involved. There are some kind of holes in these things, but if the idea is you're not the legal man, I, I guess I can accept that. I still not sure if I agree with it, but, but other than that, yeah, Shayna looked great. You know, I, I like the team here of Asuka and Shayna. I'm, I'm curious what what the what the plan is uh, for them moving forward. Because remember, Shayna said she wanted to fight Asuka when Asuka wins the belt. Um, it's it's kind of an interesting dynamic here. But yes, they 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 have elevated Shayna back up. And not only not only does she tap out, not only does she almost win the battle royal, tap out Bailey. She also she also again is involved in Raw Underground and and looks fearsome there. So just. All these different segments, they're building her up to make her look like a badass, which they absolutely should. And I'm curious in the next few weeks, whatever is kind of happening here, that they, if they finally pull that trigger and put one of the main women's belts on her. It's also crazy. If you, you want to talk about all the things that we did not expect to happen in 2020, and we're talking politics, real, you know, real life, sports, whatever. Shayna Baszler as a face is not something I expected to happen <laughs> in 2020, but not only is it happening? It's actually working. So let's move on to the predictions here. Now, they did announce that Bailey uh, will defend against Asuka first and Sasha Banks will have the match second. You saw that back and forth with them. But I think they have, and I don't think this is a bad thing because as I have said many times and as Paul Triple H Levesque has agreed with me on, sometimes predictable things are good. Sometimes predictable things are good. And I think this is pretty easy to predict. You saw it again after the SmackDown match 
in the backstage segment, a nice piece of booking, having Bailey throw in the line about finally having something to fight for that she cares about, meaning her title, not the number one contendership that she fought Oscar for uh, on Sasha's behalf the week, the, a few days prior on Raw. And, and tapped out very quickly, too. Yes, right. She very was, she quick. was not gonna. She was not gonna fight through that. Exactly. Now Bailey says she has something that she cares about to fight for. That's important to her. And Banks, before Oscar rapidly attacked both of them, Sasha gave her a big time evil eye. Right. It was a nice nugget to kind of make you think: Is that what is going to play out at SummerSlam? It makes you wonder. And with Bailey's match happening first, it now makes me believe that Bailey is going to retain her SmackDown Women's Championship over Asuka thanks to some help from Sasha Banks. And later in the show, maybe she tries to help Banks. I'm not sure how they'll book it, but she ends up accidentally costing Sasha her title. That way, you have Bailey as the SmackDown champion, Asuka, uh, sorry, Sasha Banks no longer as the Raw champion. And then in Backlash, one week later, You have the women's tag team titles on the line. They lose those. And that maybe because of Bailey, maybe Bailey takes the pinfall because she doesn't care about the women's titles. She only cares about the singles championship. And those losses and Banks being on the short end of three different decisions creates animosity between the two. That is what I think happens. I think Bailey retains. I think Asuka reclaims the Raw Women's Championship. And we see the beginnings the significant beginnings of a split finally between Bailey and Sasha Banks. So that would be once again Sasha not retaining. But def- it would be a defense. Is that correct? It would be Sasha for the fifth time in her uh, main roster career, every time losing on her first title defense, and once again never having a title reign longer than twenty-seven days, which you can also work into the feud, and you can work into the storyline that. Maybe the best women's wrestler in the company, I could certainly make that argument for Sasha, has been treated the worst in terms of booking storyline and in-match results. Yeah, so I, I, I see one of two things happening. I think one of them is yours, the way you laid it out. The other is the reverse, which I guess I'm going to pick just for the sake of being different here. That is Bailey loses her match to open up. Sasha retains... Now Sasha's the one with two belts and not Bailey. Bailey begins begins uh, getting jealous, and it starts it starts the, the 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 path toward the breakup uh, there. So I'm gonna go with that. You're going with the reverse, and I, I, it, it's it's really interesting. I'm really interested in both of these matches, how they play out, how they affect each other, how it goes moving forward. They've done a really good job with this Sasha Bailey stuff for a while here. And and um, it, it set up it it sets up a really intriguing SummerSlam. Do you agree that no matter how it's booked, in the Sasha Banks Bailey feud, Bailey has to be the heel? I do, because she's just been so good at it. I guess, and it, it, like Bailey going back to the face, it like Bailey needs to be, I guess, betrayed in order for her to become the face in all this like that's the only way i can kind of see it happening and i'm not sure in this setup exactly how we get there yeah i think i think no matter what bailey needs to be the heel and to me yeah 
both scenarios make sense based on what you're saying, where Bailey gets jealous and her ego is so strong that if Banks is the only one left with a title after the next two weeks, she attacks her. But I think that when you, when you do it that way, it makes the face look a little pathetic. I think booking it my way and going in that direction, Sasha Banks doesn't change her character. She's still the boss. She's still, you know, the blueprint, everything that she's doing now. But she looks like a strong woman for standing up for herself against her friend who, who you know, is, is making believe she's her friend only to use her. And I think it's the difference between maybe a little bit more of a pathetic face booking than what we saw when Becky Lynch a couple of years ago be- became the hottest star in the company. They thought by having Becky Lynch, I think it was attack Charlotte, if memory serves, that they were turning her heel. And yeah. obviously after a couple of weeks, the fans rallied around Becky and, and she was the face. I think by having Sasha attack Bailey after Bailey cost her the title, and it doesn't have to be this week, it can be multiple weeks down the line, but having Sasha Banks be the one to attack is the face standing up for themselves. And the fans yeah. will rally behind that and turn her into a huge baby face. And I then think, I'm not saying it will be Becky Lynch level, but I think Sasha Banks could have a run as the top face in the women's division for a calendar year that would at least rival Becky's run. It won't be the same, but I think it can be to that same caliber of greatness. Yeah, I, I think that I think that makes sense. Okay, so we are split completely on those women's finishes. We're also split on Rollins Mysterio and Mandy Rose Sonia Deville. So a lot of disagreement. Wait, on- wait, wait, who, wait. I'm sorry. Who did you have winning Mandy Sonia? Oh no, I'm. We both had Mandy. Sorry, I was yeah, wrong about. That. Okay. So we're split on the street fight and the two women's championships so far, right? Yeah. Okay. Let's move into the two men's championships and see what happens here. Braun Strowman defending the Universal Championship, not against Bray Wyatt, not against the cult leader, against The Fiend. We'll talk about what happened on SmackDown first. We'll do a prediction later. Alexa Bliss interview earlier in the show. I thought Bliss did a very good job looking shell-shocked by Strowman's lack of care for her Mm -hmm. and not sharing much of what she's learned about The Fiend when pressed in the interview. She showed a lot of range and overall improvement on Friday as a whole. And injecting Bliss into this feud was completely necessary to almost save it and make it interesting. Braun Strowman, to give him some credit, looks like a million bucks bald. So much better than keeping the thinning hair. It worked for Baron Mm -hmm. Corbin, and now it works for Braun Strowman. That's the positive. Strowman cutting that promo about eating the Fiend's entrails. This is supposed to be a face champion people can get behind. I get that the Fiend's in his head and that Braun Strowman says he's the most evil son of the bi- son of a bitch in the world now, but some part of him should still be fighting against that evil. Unless Chris, unless this is a double turn and they somehow figure out how to turn the fiend face while turning Strowman heel. Strowman is not only being changed by the swamp, but realizing he's also been friend zoned by Alexa Bliss pushing her out of his life while he's too focused on the fiend to care about her. That leads him to pressing her on Friday night, which we saw, which by the way, I thought was well done with the lights going out, just like with Ric Flair. Some people hated the manic laughing to end the show, not me. I thought it got the point of cross. Is the end result here going to be the fiend turning Braun Strowman heel, having him lose focus on his title and maybe even winning over Alexa Bliss in the process. I am so intrigued 
by what happened on Friday night and what we might see on Sunday. Yes, I, I think they did a great job. They, they, they've done just a really good job building off of it each week. That the, the comment by Strowman felt offhand that, oh, he didn't actually care about Alexa Bliss. He's only focused on the title. No, that offhand comment is turning out to be a linchpin in kind of this whole thing here. And this is the way I'm looking. I don't, I think Braun is turning heel. I don't think Fiend is turning face. Here's what I'm comparing it to. The Fiend is the Joker from the Dark Knight and Braun is Harvey Dent. Braun is so consumed he, he says everybody who comes in contact with the fiend changes it makes them evil he thinks that's happening to alexa bliss he's all paranoid in his head and now it's happened to him without even realizing it he's lost himself he's been driven crazy by the fiend who's just continuing to act like his normal fiend self the fiend is brought braun feels like the fiend is getting the the, the people in his life uh, close to him to turn against him. And now Braun is kind of going crazy, becoming a heel. Fiend is still, you know, maybe he's not a pure heel. He's kind of in the middle, kind of just kind of off doing his own thing. But that's what I think has happened so far. Braun has been driven crazy by the Fiend uh, because he's so concerned that other people are being driven crazy by him. I think it's been a great setup, great, just nuanced storytelling here. And I, I think it's, it's, it's really set us up well going into SummerSlam. You make a great point. I actually do agree with you. I don't think it's a double turn in the aspect that The Fiend becomes a baby face. I don't think yeah. that happens. But I do think Braun Strowman ultimately turns heel. Braun Strowman does a 180. I think The Fiend does like a 270 or something. Like he doesn't go all the way back, but he's like now 75. Like a 90. Yeah, yeah or, or I could have said 90. Uh, either way. Uh, but he's like 75% heel almost, right? Like he he's mm -hmm. mostly a heel, but there's things about him that maybe Alexa Bliss starts liking. And if you're going to compare him to the Joker, could that potentially make Alexa Bliss Harley Quinn in this scenario? Yeah, I mean, you could certainly go. To, I mean, she cosplayed as Harley Quinn as a character for a while. I mean, I, I think that's certainly a path down which you could go. Um, I would... Like, you know, we, we all we've all kind of figured it was going to get to this point and Fiend would take the title the way it's setting up now with Alexa Bliss. I could see this feud continuing for a little bit more, even with Braun in the heel role. And technically, they're both kind of heels. I, I could see a way they still keep it going. I could, too. I think that's possible. And whether this ends up being a double turn or not or whatever you want to call it, I'm not sure. I've, I found myself when I was thinking about making a prediction for this, I found myself wondering whether the change in Braun's character changed my prediction or the outcome of the match. I don't think it did. This could just be a scenario where the heels mind games win. Bliss has obviously been sent over the edge she, when she slapped the absolute shit out of Strowman, mostly hit his beard, but nevertheless. And then he pressed her, which you would think is going to seriously injure or hurt her, except, hey, Maybe The Fiend has some healing qualities. Maybe Bliss costs Strowman the title with a distraction or a low blow or appearing in a certain way. I don't know. Maybe she turns heel. Maybe Alexa Bliss is just scorned. I don't know how they're going to finish this match. And because of that, I'm intrigued to see what happens. But in the end, ultimately, I believe no matter how they book it, Braun Strowman loses the Universal Championship. Yes, I also see The Fiend winning. 
Um, I, I think what we've seen the last couple of weeks is setting up Ron for what's next, whether that's a heel run against Fiend, whether that's some other type of heel thing. I'm not sure. We'll see what happens with Alexa. But I, I still think Fiend wins. But like I said, I don't think that means it's necessarily over. That's very fair. Very possible. As long as they don't immediately run it back at payback. It has to at least be another pay-per-view match like a month later. Don't just yeah. give me that match again one week later. I can't deal with that. Yeah. That won't work for me. Uh, now the WWE Championship, Drew McIntyre defending the title against Randy Orton, which I am going to presume is going to be the main event of the show. I got to say off the top, Chris, before we actually get into analysis, did you notice the new Claymore sword sound effect at the start of McIntyre's entrance? That is, oh, some, that I, is corny shit, man. I didn't know what that was. That, that explains it. <laughs> it's a sword like coming out of a sheath or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I was wondering if that was different. It's like, something, the, something was different. That would make sense. The Ricochet one is is one thing. I, I get I hate the Ricochet one. But he's a, at least he's a little bit of a quote-unquote superhero because he's athletic. He's, and it, it, Ricochet's music is great. It's got a great start. You don't need to throw the stupid laser in there. I think the train for Braun Strowman is fine. Maybe not as a heel. But train works as for face, Broman. I, I, Drew's, Drew's he, sometimes he edges on the edges toward being too corny like when he counts down the claymore now i can't deny that fans when they were they were in the crowd loved it so so maybe i'm just being cynical but i i don't need the i don't need the sword no no look austin's glass breaking is iconic okay for the rock do you smell what the rock is cooking iconic these are these are some of the greatest entrance themes we have ever had. And yes, they had intros like that, but they were not sound of, I guess maybe glass breaking is a sound effect, but it played into the Steve Austin character. You saw, uh, I think it was a, a King of the Ring or a WrestleMania, I forget, where they had the, the glass literally shattered and then he walked through it in, in graphic. Yeah, WrestleMania, WrestleMania 13. Yeah, right. It, that's what, exactly what it was, WrestleMania 13. So when you do that type of stuff, it's great, but a claymore is a sword and it, it's not the same as the concept of glass shattering or someone yelling their signature line. MJF, he does the signature line, I'm better than you and you know it before his entrance. That's good. It works with the character. A, a freaking sword, I almost cursed, a freaking sword sound effect is as corny as it gets. It's more corny than the ricochet, ricochet sound effect, which at least, again, he's a little bit of a superhero, a little bit of, of something like that. I can at least buy it a little bit. Um... Alistair Black, they added the creaking to his lift kind of going up. Okay, that works, I guess, because he's <laughs> oh, rising. <laughs> he's rising out of the smoke, whatever you want to call it. I can at least buy those in the context of what they sure. are. This is unnecessary. Just it, it, unnecessary. it is. And it also, it, it doesn't work with the theme. I, I'm not a fan of Drew's theme. It's too slow and prodding for the guy who's supposed to be your face champion. His music's supposed to get you excited. It's it a doesn't. Thing. Yeah, maybe maybe the sword thing is is an attempt to give you that moment. But in general, I think Drew could use a new theme. I, I agree. But man, just so dorky, so stupid to do that. Anyway, let's actually talk about the WWE Championship match. I thought the back and forth with Shawn Michaels earlier on Raw Monday night was very natural. I said this a couple times and very believable. It got me excited for the Orton match uh, against Drew McIntyre. And it also got me excited for Michaels to go what I thought was face to face with Orton later in the show. But it never was a face to face. HBK cut a good promo in the ring. But then Orton kind of comes in, hits the RKO out of nowhere, then punt kicks Shawn Michaels immediately. 
before McIntyre runs into the ring. And then punched out of nowhere. Yeah, almost. And then runs through (laughs) Orton. But my problem with this was Sean, like the punch is supposed to devastate you. It's supposed to put you completely out. HBK hardly sold the punt. He was up on his knees in the corner with McIntyre and a referee almost immediately after. And then the very smart babyface champion, who to this point has been very smart and has not been outsmarted, is helping HBK a second time with his back completely turned, even though Orton just tried to attack him moments earlier and eats an RKO to end the show. So as much as I love Randy Orton, I love the legend killer gimmick. I love the way they've built up Drew McIntyre, and I liked almost everything else on this show. I felt like the go-home moment kind of made McIntyre look weak when that has not been his character the entire time he's been champion. Yeah, I I think, I mean, like you said, we we talk about how Drew has not played himself as the dumb babyface that we so often get. So that was a rare, I, I guess, turned his back moment to him. I, I the, the punt, I know I just said it was a punt out of nowhere. Maybe that's why Sean Michaels was okay. I don't know. I think you could have set it up where Randy's going for the punt and he's building it up and Drew comes in to break it up and then you do the same thing. So it, it was a little strange there. Uh, but it, overall, I, it was great promo from Sean. You know, he even kind of had some tears coming up. He's still, you know, one of the best. Um, so it, it, it did what it was. I, I, I was let down that Drew kind of looked essentially dumb by, by turning his back to Randy Orton because normally he's not someone who's doing this type of thing. I, I kept waiting for something else to happen, whether it was retribution or I don't even know, but it just yeah. it, it, it felt very flat as the end of the show to me. And yes, look, I did say earlier in the show that I excused the booking of retribution interrupting Drew McIntyre because it gave him the locker room leader ability in, in the backstage area immediately after that segment. But if you think about McIntyre on screen, on this show. Early, his promo gets interrupted by a group that is basically a bunch of teenagers causing chaos instead of rioters. Then he's getting a talking to from Shawn Michaels ahead of a big match where does McIntyre really need that when he's already beaten Bobby Lashley and Seth Rollins and all these other guys? And then you end the show with him taking an RKO. It just, it took a guy who has been the strongest built face champion the WWE's had in a very long time, if we're being honest, and made him look weak the whole show. Now, maybe that's to swerve us, right? Maybe that's to make us think that after, despite all these obstacles and despite Orton getting over on him, McIntyre is going to walk out of SummerSlam as the champion. And look, I could very much see it, right? We can move into the prediction part of this. You know, long time uh, now, really a couple months, I've told you and we've talked about it, but it's been something I've been perpetrating here that Randy Orton should be taking the title off Drew McIntyre at SummerSlam. Uh, Orton was booked so strong that him losing to McIntyre kills his momentum, kills the legend killer gimmick, and it kind of puts him back at square one after a really strong run over the last eight months at this point. And you can still go in that direction, and I think maybe they will. But funny enough, What has maybe slightly changed my thinking on this match is nothing that happened in kayfabe. It's actually, I believe it or not, the WWE Thunderdome. Welcome to Thunderdome, bitch. And the reason it has me changing the thinking is this. Drew McIntyre's entire title reign since WrestleMania 
has been done in the performance center. This guy who's been booked incredibly strong and it seems like has a lot of support from WWE fans has not been able to experience that support in any meaningful way on television. And in his first opportunity to get that support and have the big WrestleMania moment that he didn't get to have at WrestleMania with these virtual fans that are now able to cheer for him, are you going to have him lose the title in that situation and have Randy Orton take it? On one hand, it would make Randy Orton a huge heel for all those fans that finally want to get the opportunity to cheer Drew McIntyre. And I don't know if you just heard that, but it's thundering outside. The I, Funny enough, it's daytime in South Florida and it's thundering while I'm talking about the Thunderdome. But for all these people who have wanted to cheer on Drew McIntyre, and it might be virtual, for them to have that opportunity taken away from them with Orton winning the title, that could be a very nice heel moment for Orton. But at the same time, has WWE now thought maybe they want that to be a face moment for Drew McIntyre? I don't know what's going to happen. Ultimately, Chris, I think I have to stay with my long-term booking. It would be disingenuous if I changed. I do think Drew McIntyre is going to lose the title to Randy Orton in the main event at SummerSlam. McIntyre with Seth Rollins on Monday night, I think he has a ready-made feud where he can go into feuding with Rollins again in a non-title situation, maybe beat Rollins, get some of that momentum back, and then go after the title again later this year and maybe try to win it back from Orton. But the Thunderdome, believe it or not, had me rethinking my prediction. And it made me think, maybe WWE wants to give him that crowning moment. That's a really good point that I, I did not think about. You know, we, we've talked for weeks about how great Drew has been, and he's really deserved to have a crowd cheer him on. But I don't know if the Thunderdome really does that. Maybe, the, maybe, you know, maybe he loses the title and they save that big return, that big moment where he gets that once the fans come back maybe they put the title back in him whenever fans are able to come back although we don't know when that is i think at this point you know i was in the camp for a while of i want drew to beat orton i want him to keep looking like a really strong face champion he's been great keep it moving forward but i think over the last couple of weeks especially after the rick flair thing that you've you've got to you've got to go with orton here he, he's been too good too just hot and edgy with everything that's going on. I, I think he has to get a title out of this, out of everything he's done. Um, I don't know what that means moving forward. There are clearly a lot more main event heels on Raw than there are faces. Um, I, that, that, I guess that's one point to put in McIntyre's corner in terms of a pick. But he's I think it's all. got... He's, he's beat them all. Let me interrupt you. He's beat all true. of them. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't even know who Orton would feud with. Would Kevin Owens come back and he does a, a short little thing? I don't he, know. You could do Kevin Owens. You could do Aleister Black if he's able to come back. I think there's yeah, enough. I don't. I don't think Aleister's ready for a main event feud yet. But maybe. But who? Who knows? I mean, you know. I guess there's always a question of payback with this. I guess it's possible. Orton wins and then Drew wins a week later and gets that Thunderdome moment as, as well, since we don't really know. Um, so I, my, 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 pick, my pick is now Orton. Uh, I, I think he's just been too good, even though he's gotten the upper hand almost every time throughout all of this. Frankly, that makes me want the, him to win it more. I'm always sick of the, oh, someone gets the upper hand on the go home, therefore the other person wins. Like, no, I, I like Orton's been absolutely killing it. Let him kill, kill it all the way to the top and figure it out from there. Yeah, I think you can give Orton a couple one-month face feuds 
uh, Owens, like I said, maybe an Aleister Black. You figure out someone else to put in that position and then have McIntyre challenge again and win the title back. You know, Orton doesn't need to keep it forever. Have McIntyre win it back in October or December before you start the new year again. Survivor Series would be in between there. That also sets up a potentially really interesting Randy Orton versus Fiend match if both are champion at Survivor Series. Talk about the Fiend concluding another feud that he was never able to get over Orton. He lost to him at WrestleMania when he should have won that match. Um, That sets up a really great Survivor Series match. So I think sticking with Orton for me, you coming around picking Orton ultimately is the right decision. And I do think we will see, as I said, many title changes here by the time SummerSlam comes to a close. The question is, is WWE going to reverse any of those one week later at Payback? And that is where our last DM of the show comes in. Sean McDermott at I'm Bored Brother. Which of the known matches at SummerSlam have the best chance to be schmoz finishes and or rematches at Payback? So I'm going to have you go first, Chris, but I'm going to read the list of the matches just to give everyone a refresher at our options. The WWE Championship match, Drew McIntyre versus Randy Orton. The Universal Championship match, Braun Strowman against The Fiend. The two women's matches, uh, Sasha Banks against Asuka and Bayley against Asuka for the women's championships. Though we already know there will be a women's tag team championship match at Payback. Seth Rollins versus Dominic Mysterio in a street fight. Mandy Rose versus Sonya Deville in hair versus hair. Apollo Crews versus MVP for the United States Championship. And the Street Profits against Andrade and Angel Garza for the Raw Tag Team Championship. So out of those matches, I believe I just said eight. One, two, three, four, five, six. Yep, eight matches. Out of those eight, do you think we see any rematches at Payback? And if so, which matches? I think it's got to be the tag team match, first off. I mean, all, all these singles matches seem pretty definitive in that they need a result. I mean, hair versus hair, I, I, I find it unlikely we 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 change something with that, these, these right. title matches. Unless, you know, maybe Retribution gets involved, like you said, and you do some... By the way, apologies for the puppies in the background here. It's fine. Which one Which one is that? That is... Uh, it's Anne and Tammy that are that are currently... Um, so you did, a, with- you did a great thing by naming the puppies after Parks and Recreation characters, but the problem is you missed, like, major significant characters when doing this. Well, we, we had seven... We had seven pups, which seems like a lot, but then you go through all the Parks and Rec characters... And it was honestly hard to 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 narrow it down to those two. I think so, the next litter needs to be part two. Yeah, so that's what that is. But in, in terms of Schmaz finishes, I think I think definitely the tag match. I don't know about any others. I mean, may, unless Retribution jumps in somewhere like you predicted, but I, I think for sure the tag match is going to be one of those. No, that's fine. And I, I think I would say the MVP Cruise match, based on the prediction I kind of gave earlier, that one for me will be a no-brainer uh, rematch. Hair versus hair, I agree. No reason to do that again. Rollins Mysterio. Maybe one of the women's singles matches, storyline-wise, they could do it, but because they have the women's tag team championship match, that doesn't make sense. No way it's Fiend or and Braun Strowman. And I don't see Orton and McIntyre happening. So I don't know what this payback is going to be. I think you'll get Cruz and MVP. Maybe we'll get an Intercontinental Championship match. Maybe something happens on SmackDown Friday where that's a schmoz finish and they put that on the pay-per-view. But I don't know what payback is going to be. I think we have a, a bigger opportunity to have a couple like tag matches made out of matches that happened on 
um, SummerSlam. Maybe we see instead of they, them running back Seth Rollins versus Rey Mysterio or something, maybe we get finally Seth Rollins and Murphy against Rey Mysterio and Dominic. I could see that potentially happening. Um, but I think we're, I think payback WWE may do a good job making most of those matches unique with only a couple runbacks from SummerSlam. Otherwise, if you're going to do those back to back, like they kind of did with blood money in the sand immediately after WrestleMania a couple years ago, you're really diminishing one of your major pay-per-views for an event that just doesn't matter by comparison. Yeah. I I do not understand this payback thing at all. Just it, it, it's SummerSlam. You're supposed to you're supposed to build to this moment, and now it, between everything that's going on, it's just extremely strange. I don't know if they're just trying to throw in more stuff so they can get more more network subscribers. But then you've got Intercontinental title matches they're not putting on SummerSlam, and they're putting on SmackDown. It just seems like they're just trying to, I guess, lift all boats and s- spread the spread the wealth around to something else. And I think it's it's taken away from it a bit now. The four singles world title matches, I think, are really solid anchors. Like you said, it's almost a quad main event, but it still feels weird to have some of these other things around uh, SummerSlam. It, it does. And and because those matches are all so solid and most of them, I mean, all of them, no, all of them have been relative long term booking to get to this point. It doesn't really make sense to run them back one week later. It would have made so much more sense for me if, you know, this is basically mid to mid to late August for SummerSlam. If they wanted to do whatever the October, whatever the September pay-per-view at the last week of September and do payback two weeks after SummerSlam, then you at least have some time to breathe, create a couple new matches, maybe hold some things off of this card. There's clearly a SmackDown tag team championship match building with Cesaro and Nakamura against Lucha House Party. You can put that on it. But it just feels like to do it literally one week later, it just feels like no matter what, it's going to diminish SummerSlam in some degree. So, you know, Sean, to answer your question, I'm holding out hope that they don't over schmaz us at SummerSlam. They get some definitive results. And then if they want to run a couple of rematches, if they create good storyline reasons for it, ultimately, I'm okay with that. Now, do, do you well real quick kind of along these lines of what we're talking about do you think they should have done instead a a two-night SummerSlam like Wrestlemania instead of back-to-back Sundays the only reason I say no is because they have take over the night before that's true that's a good point so because of that that really makes your booking difficult are you going to want to put takeover on a Friday night maybe they could have could they have made SummerSlam a two-week event potentially they could have done something especially with the women's matches where one happens one week, the other happens the next week. You have it, McIntyre it's Orton it's, main event one, and you have Strowman the Fiend main event the other. They could have done it in back-to-back weeks. It's hard to do those compared to AEW and NXT because you have a Raw and a SmackDown between them. But like you know, the 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 two night uh, Great American Bash and and, and uh, I think it was Fire Fest. Th- those kind of work because you can do them back to back. You can't really do back to back Sundays. That, that's how, why it's going to be. Weird. That's why next week's Raw and SmackDown are going to be very strange. How about this though? if they split it between Raw and SmackDown. You mean a Raw SummerSlam and a, and a SmackDown SummerSlam? Exactly. Because yeah, then, yes, then yes, you have shows you have shows in between, but the Raw is a Raw after, and then the, the SmackDown becomes a go-home, and you have more time yeah. to build storylines. They could have done it that Good way. Point too. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I think it's fine that it's one night. It's only eight matches. You know, I do think SummerSlam, we're not going to get a two-and-a-half-hour pay-per-view like we 
have been for some of these WWE shows. I do think this is a three, three and a half hour show, but it is just strange for them to run payback the immediate week after. And because of that, Chris, I will transition into the close of this show. I got to talk about everything coming up on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. Normally, when we talk about what's next, we talk about, hey, what's coming up in NXT and AEW? Screw that. We got to talk about what's coming up on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. This is the schedule as I'm going to lay out lay it out for you over the next couple of weeks. On Thursday this week, we will have an NXT TakeOver 30 Ultimate Preview with some major interviews coming on Getting Over. Then on Sunday, the WWE SummerSlam and NXT TakeOver 30 Instant Analysis. Chris will be watching TakeOver, so he will be with me to break down both of those shows in a loaded, very late, hopefully very alcoholic instant analysis show on Sunday night. We will come back on Tuesday and talk the Raw after SummerSlam as well as AEW Dynamite. Why are we doing that? Because Dynamite is airing Saturday night, basically head-to-head with TakeOver. Then on Friday next week, we will talk NXT and AEW Dynamite. Why on Friday? Because Dynamite's going to be on Thursday and things can't be easy for the Silver King. So what does that mean about payback? How are we going to talk about the next pay-per-view? On Saturday, we will have a WWE payback ultimate preview because we're going to have to figure out what happens that Friday on SmackDown. And then on Sunday, we will have WWE payback instant analysis. Thanks a lot, AEW, and thanks a lot, WWE, for screwing up your scheduling and screwing up the Silver King. So... Two more and, shows. And, 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 and while this is going on, college football may completely fall apart with our regular jobs that we're dealing right. with. So who the hell knows what's going to happen? What I do know is we have two more episodes this week and potentially four episodes of Getting Over coming next week. I'm tired just talking about it. We just gave you two hours of a WWE SummerSlam Ultimate Preview. Don't forget to tune in Sunday night if you're a WWE-only fan for our SummerSlam instant analysis. And the very least you can do with all of this wrestling audio that the Silver King and Chris are giving you. Chris, by the way, needs a nickname. We're going to have to figure that out. But with all I have this, some idea. I have, I have some ideas that have been going around in my head. We can talk about them in the future. But I don't know that you can give yourself a nickname. I did not give myself the Silver King. That That's was fair. That's that fair. was christened upon me by Nick Costos, the handsome Greek. So we'll have to, we'll have to figure it out. Maybe you tell me off air and I'll, I'll kind of... We'll kayfabe it a little bit, and I'll do it on the show. But nevertheless, how do you thank us for all of this audio? You guys know. Head on over to Apple Podcasts. Leave us that five-star rating and review. Let us know how much you love the show. Every single review counts and helps us long-term. Also, go ahead. Go on a follow spree on Twitter. Follow Chris at Chris Benini. Follow me at Silverstein Adam. But most importantly, follow the show at Getting Overcast. A very long edition of the Getting Over podcast today. But you know what? I'm going to say goodbye for Chris. I'll say goodbye for myself. That means there's only one more person who has to speak to you before we get out of here. We got something going that's oh, really big, mercy. don't we? Yeah. Look in the video scope right now and tell them about Macho Madness. Tell them how strong it is and tell them where we're going, yeah. We into the Twilight Zone, yeah. And how Kogan's got no chance, does he? 
know. Does anybody have a chance against the Macho Man right now? No. The no. one of the greatest wrestler, past, present, and future that ever lived. Why? Okay, well, say goodbye. Goodbye. Say goodbye. Bye. Okay, now get out of here. Well, that's a little rough, Randy. Yeah, but it is rough. Yeah, wrestling is a rough sport. And I am the roughest one in the sport. I am the number one wrestler in the world today. Tell Hulk Hogan that talk I will. I thank you, Randy Savage. Thank you all for listening. We'll speak to you again Thursday and then Sunday. Bye for now.